Your move, creep. You should be like Freezer. You go, Ben Coco. Dino DMA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's night for! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello everybody, welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. Man, do we have an interesting episode tonight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, it's interesting because this is another movie that I've never seen. Now, this is coming off the heels of our previous episode, Camelot, which you and I did not see or know about before the ep- the actual episode. Mm-hmm. And as for me, this is another one where I'm going in absolutely blind. I have no idea this movie even existed. I have no expectations. Well, I'm watching the trailer. I have the trailer playing in front of me right here. Uh, and it looks bonanzas like there's a yeah, bunch of stuff bonanzas happening. bonanzas but, bonanzas i don't think i don't think that's how you, <laughs> i think you meant to say bananas but bonanzas. Just, that's a i'm I don't pointing think that's that. a okay all that, right that's you, a you new made up a, that's a new george staple in the episode <laughs> that's bonanzas <laughs> that's bonanzas oh my god okay you, you actually recommended this episode you wanted to do this right yes i wanted to do this because uh i have a friend on Twitch, who also streams the chunks, uh, he recommended this movie. Like every time I would talk to him about movies, he'd always bring up Zoo Warriors. And, you know, as we uh, talk to friends and stuff, they will recommend movies to us. And I feel like 80% of the time, we never watch those movies, right? We just <laughs> let them talk about it. And they were like, oh, yeah, I'll check it out sometime. And you never do, right? So part of the reason doing this podcast is to finally get to watching those movies that people recommended to us. Um, and this, he was somebody who is a fan of the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Not just listening to it because, you know, he's my friend. He, he actually enjoys the podcast and he recommended this movie. So I feel like it would have, it was a good opportunity to do it because it is May. It is AAPI month. This is a Chinese film. It might, maybe it's a Hong Kong film, uh, but it is a wuxia film. And a wuxia is like this specific genre of martial arts film. I think it translates to like martial hero, I think. But it's kind of like this, it's like fantasy, martial arts, like action adventure film, right? Mm-hmm. Like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is probably the one that most people out there know. Uh, House of Flying Daggers. There's parts of The Matrix that uses the wuxia style. Most recently, you have uh, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Like, that's has a wuxia style. Uh, like, in the opening, it's, you know, with all the wire work and everything. Um, so, I've really wanted to do one of these movies. Um, ever since I saw Shadow, which is something maybe we could do on our Modern Grade series. Because I think it's an amazing film. Um, but today, today we are covering 1983's Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain. So wuxia is essentially almost like theatrical fighting, right? Because in reality, 
people don't fight like this. Like, it's funny because when you think of movie fights, those aren't actual real fights. And I think Wuxia emphasizes a bit more of the theatrical, some of the fantastical elements of fight, fantastical elements of fighting. And it's almost like a dance, right? Like, there's like a rhythm to it. There's a there's a rhythm, a melody. Uh, it's it's a bit more artful in its fighting compared to something like the raid, which is way more brutal, hands on. It, this is closer to how people fight, but it's not really still, you know. Um, I yeah. Well, the raid is is all about that specific martial arts style, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that. If you were to see an Indonesian police force raid a building, I don't think you would see 90% of the things you see in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fair um, enough. Like, it, it is still, it's a different kind of fantasy, right? Like, I feel like this movie probably has, you know, a lot more wire work and the things that they're fighting aren't human, right? Or there's, there's some kind of, like, monster element to it. Uh, which which isn't true of all wuxia films right there's there's a fantastical element in them right so like in crouching tiger right you have people just like flying through the air basically mm-hmm. right people don't do that but like they do in these these style of film in wuxia, um, and right. in, in the wuxia film yeah in the matrix like when morpheus jumps in the air and just flies across the building that's kind of like a wuxia thing right and the way they fight in the dojo they even got a, a famous director, like action choreographer to do that, uh, Wu Ping, who did ne- never wanted to come to Hollywood and share that art cr- art form with, with Hollywood. But the, the Wachowskis convinced him. Uh, but in, in this film, it's it's that style. And I feel like it's a good one because it's inspired another film that you haven't seen that I love and want to cover uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yes, I have not seen that. The the uh, yeah, the one with Kurt Russell, right? Yes, it's a Kurt Russell movie directed by John Carpenter. I'm curious, is Jackie Chan Wuxia? No. Okay. I don't I don't think he's considered Wuxia, but he like if you think of a Jackie Chan movie, you're probably thinking of like Rumble in the Bronx or The Drunken Master, mm-hmm. a Mr. Nice Guy, uh Who Am I? that that kind of stuff right yes and in those movies although they are fantastical i they're not like uh it's almost like a like kind of lord of the rings fantasy you know but everybody knows martial arts <laughs> you know gotcha. I, I think that's that's part of it because uh, zoo warriors uh the hero house of flying daggers you know they're all like historical but it's like People didn't fly around in the, in this mm. part of history. You know what I mean? Yeah. From, from so I'm not a, a, a wuxia expert by no degree. <laughs> Me either. I just I just know enough of it to 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 call it when I see it. Mm. But I know if something isn't. If oh, it's kind of like that judge that said, uh, "I don't know what porn is, but I know it when I see it." <laughs> it's kind of like that categorization. Why do you always go in that no, direction? No, George? but that's what. But that's what he said, and it's funny enough because what he's saying <laughs> makes sense, right? Now, and well, and that's the thing too. It's there. There needs to be a. There needs to. I think that's something that we could clear up on when we do the research. Is what specifically makes a film wuxia? Because there are fantastical elements. Obviously, a lot of wire work. A lot of people are flying around, but like Jackie Chan isn't. 
So I'm curious to see where the lines are drawn, what's what kind of overlap exists, if there's any between them, or if they're considered two two different fighting styles depictions on film. You know, and and I like that you said I know it when I see it, because I feel like that's how we treat a lot of things. Like that's a noir film. I know it when I see it, or like that's a you know like certain genres. But sometimes getting mm-hmm. in like the nitty gritty of it, it's like really interesting because then you start seeing the patterns. Once you once you read about it, you start recognizing the patterns everywhere else. Because uh, like you said, Matrix was inspired by wuxia filmmakers and filmmaking. But I don't think a lot of people realize that when the Matrix came out, at least not a lot of American audiences. Right. I don't think so. Maybe maybe a little bit, you know, because I'm sure the martial arts films like Jackie Chan and stuff like they people knew those movies, mm-hmm. I think. Right. And then I think a lot of people's first experience with Jackie Chan might have been Rush Hour. And you get like a little bit of that Hong Kong style there. Mm-hmm. But specifically the wuxia thing. It might not have been on a lot of people's radars until something like uh, Crouching Tiger, Crouching Tiger yeah. Hidden Dragon, and mm-hmm. Hero, and that kind of stuff. Where like you're seeing these Asian uh, stars like Michelle Yeoh and Chow Yun Fat and Jet Li, but it's um, I don't know. Maybe maybe you might s- the Matrix might trigger some of those. Like you might see similarities between them because I think Crouching Tiger. And the Matrix are released pretty close together. Uh, yeah, Crouching Tiger was early two thousands, and the Matrix was obviously ninety nine. So it, not that not that many years separated them. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of other stuff in the Matrix that people will will think of when they think of the Matrix, like the whole simulation thing, mm-hmm. and yeah. the whole like, oh, are you a machine? Are you a blue pill? And all all that other <laughs> stuff. There's a, a lot of stuff going on in the matrix that you forget oh there's like the martial arts element of it too Mm -hmm. yeah that's what i'm really curious i'm curious to really dive into wuxia and just like read up on it really curious to see like all right this is what makes a film wuxia and just kind of reading up on it you know this is a this is an area of filmmaking that uh from a region that i haven't explored too much of you know now i've seen Mm -hmm. my my fair share uh, of uh you know of like fighting films some martial arts but never really like going in you know what i mean and this is our first one on the pod i believe so yeah like we covered like the matrix but that's like this it's just part of it you know no matrix was inspired we're going to the original recipe but see this is the thing about this film right here is that it's kind of like a twist on the original recipe this was part of the like hong kong new wave right oh so this was like a kind of a all right we'll take all the stuff from the past and we're gonna like do something a little new with it because we've you've seen the trailer right it is crazy like the my god like there's so much stuff happening and you just reading the synopsis of the movie it's like wait what is this movie about you said like <laughs> so many different vocabulary words that i'm not really sure about you know here i'll read the premise for you right now during the Sixteen Kingdoms period, Xiao Shu, army deserter Dick Minke, who was chased by vampires in the Mountain of Zhu, is rescued by Master Ding Yang, Ding Yan, and becomes his pupil. When they were ambushed by the Blood Devil, Devil Chaser Su Yu and his pupil Yat Jan came to their assistance. 
They manage to hold off the blood devil, but they need to find the dual swords to destroy it. <laughs> so there's vampires in this movie. Yeah, there's the a blood devil. Blood devil. I was going to I was gonna say that. A devil chaser. I, I love all of that, though. Like, I love it. You, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if you're going to go, if you're going to go balls out and give me something that's fantastical, go all the way. Like, I want to see some, I want to see things that I haven't seen before, right? In in this film, I, the, the wackiest thing I saw with, like, weapons was, like, there was a guy who lets himself get stabbed and then the sword, like, melts through him. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and, like, the... The way the people are dressed in this movie, like the color composition and the staging of everything, it just looks like a wild time. And they're still like doing crazy action stuff. Like there's, I'm assuming a vampire that's just like flipping around a room and then shooting lightning bolts out of his hand as he's upside down. So you're you're basically making this sound like Wusha Blade with Wesley Snipes. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's kind of like... What if Lord of the Rings, everybody knew martial arts, mm-hmm. you know, and the hobbits had like a distinct fighting style and the elves had a fighting style and mm. they, they tell the story through through uh, martial arts. So I feel like it like, you know, Lord of the Rings has a lot of like weird vocabulary and the premise is like weird, but like we've seen Lord of the Rings. It makes sense to us. Absolutely. You know, they got to take the ring to Mount Doom where it was forged because that's the only place that can destroy the ring. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe this plot will make more sense to us as we when uh, we, yeah. That is a that is kind of a concern because sometimes you someone can get too fantastical, and to the point where I'm like, all right, you're doing too much. Like you need to stop. All right, pull the yeah, brakes. Like- let's go back to the <laughs> let's go back to the hero's journey. All right, let's pull up. <laughs> but let's let's get out our sheets of paper. I'm just saying because sometimes. Some fantasy could get too fantasy, all right? And I've mentioned this yeah. before. One of the biggest examples I have with that is um, that, uh, what's that puppet movie? Um, the Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal, where it's like, you've got the sketches and you've got these things, and and it's like supposed to be a children's movie, but even I couldn't keep up with it, and I was like 1920 when I saw it. <laughs> so <laughs> I am a little concerned Right. With kind of the description that you gave me about zoo warriors, because it's like, well, it could become a little too dark crystallish, but at least at the very least, even if the story is incomprehensible to me, I know I can I can understand fight scenes and I feel like this movie's got some banger fight scenes. Yeah. And very, very high concept. Uh, I don't know if high concept is the right word, but it's very ambitious. You know, it's not just all right, two guys punching each other in a room and, oh, he's going to put him through a table. You know, it's there's people bouncing off the walls, shooting lightning bolts, deflecting them with their sword, spinning around to get extra torque, get a, a better swing. It, it's wild. Well, it's, I see some dude using his hair to fight. It, well, that's the <laughs> thing. That's one of the things that with the very little that I know uh Asian martial arts film, like films with Asian martial artists, right? One of the things that I've kind of noticed a little bit, I'm, I, I can't say all, obviously, because I haven't seen a lot of a lot of martial arts films, but there does seem to be the, the theatricality of it, right? That the fighting yeah. may seem unrealistic, but it's, it's for a show. It's for entertainment. It's for amazement, seeing people actually pull these stunts off. It's got a melody and kind of rhythm to it. 
you know, and like, they're like, okay, we're going to take simple actions, but we're going to make it look badass. So for example, you know, like sometimes like, like, right. I've got the uh, zoo warriors, uh, IMDB page right in front of me right now. And it's Mm -hmm. scrolling through different, uh, martial art films, like trailers, right. Not just the the zoo warriors, but like from other films, right. One of them had Donnie Yen in it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's like, I saw a dude wrap a shirt, a wet shirt around his bicep and pulling like, and like grabbing the, the two ends together and like drying the shirt as like the fingers are moving through it. Like that's how he's drying a shirt, right? <laughs> that's wild. And it and he's doing like a bunch of twirls and like he's moving in like circles and stuff. But it looks mm-hmm. badass, right? And yeah. I'm really excited to see that because I think that's one of the things that we've kind of lost is some of the theatricalities or, or some of the theatrics of fighting styles you know again i like the uh boots on the ground like fist to fist you know macho a macho or whatever but i do like when fight scenes have that theatricality to them that like that level of artistry behind it where it's like yeah yeah realistically people don't ever fight like this but but i love what you said before it's like we don't watch movies to see people do the regular things like the things that we see in the regular world we see we watch movies to see people do badass shit yeah, like that's why I find wrestling more entertaining than MMA or boxing. Mm. You know, like yeah, the other one's real, but the other one's more fun to watch. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, 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 a hundred percent. Let's let let's go back to 1983. 1983 is a year that should be familiar because we just covered it. When we went to the Evil Dead. Uh, so just to recap: number one, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Number two. Terms of Endearment. Three, Flashdance. Four, Trading Places. Five, War Games. Octopussy. Sudden Impact. Staying Alive. Mr. Mom. And Risky Business. Also coming up this year, Scarface. Superman 3. Never Say Never Again. Psycho 2. <laughs> uh, and Cujo and Christine. And the Dead Zone. Jeez, I feel like uh, Stephen King had a bit of a year. Man, Stephen King, <laughs> uh, we cannot underestimate the power that that man has. The, the grasp that he has on Hollywood. To this day, we are still getting Stephen King adaptations. We, yeah. we got Pet Cemetery a while ago. We had his new book, The Outsider. It's every day. I feel like it's another Stephen King book. Oh, that's right. Stephen King endorsed The Evil Dead. That's and that right. was huge for The Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. What else? Is there anything is there anything else you would like to talk about? Well, I think for me what I'm just looking forward to is watching the thing, trying to see if it makes sense, right? Cuz that that was a wild description. But also just reading up on wuxia films. You know, there's this has like been a blind spot uh in my education. It's it's interesting. This podcast has really shown how many blind spots I have in, when it comes to film. And if you know me, you know I love movies. I love them. There's some of my favorite things to talk about, read, uh, watch, think about, you know. But there's still so much to learn. It's insane, Austin, you know. Oh, yeah. And there's so many different things to appreciate about films, too. Mm -hmm. Which is one thing that I really like about this podcast. Because there's some movies that I just don't like. But after reviewing them, it gives me something new to appreciate about them. You know, like I, I probably would have never watched Drive again if it wasn't for this podcast. Neither of us and would I have act- seen Camelot. 
Right, right. So I am looking forward to finally checking this off on the list of mm. things someone recommended to me. I am curious to see how wacky this movie can be and how ambitious they were in 83. And I kind of want to see how much this movie has in common with the uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which it won't make very much sense to you because you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. But that that film was very influential as well. And, you know, somebody saw that movie and were like, I'm going to make a video game. And that video game was Mortal Kombat. So there's like a, a trickle down effect from this film and Mortal Kombat, something that you are very familiar with, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people are very familiar with. So if you want to see the movie that started the the wheels turning for Ed Boon and, and whoever the other person, people who made Mortal Kombat, we can trace it back to Zoo Warrior. And the Zoo Warrior, Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain. I thought that it was colon from the Magic Mountain, but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain. Where can we watch Zoo Warriors? Well, unfortunately, you can't rent it. But it is on the Paramount Plus app. And, you know, as with every other streamer, like if you sign up, you get like a month for free movies or maybe a week. I don't know. But that's how I'm going to watch this movie. I'm going to take advantage of the free Paramount Plus month or whatever and watch it there. Whoa, interesting. You can't rent this movie? No. Whoa. Okay. Oh, interesting. But, you know, of, of all the, the things on Paramount, the Halo show, the Godfather show, Top Gun, Maverick, all the stuff there, what's going to get me to sign up? Zoo Warriors. <laughs> well, ho- ho- hold. It's not going to be Top Gun Maverick? I've seen it in theaters. That was a, a premium experience. You need experience. to watch it five more times, Austin. I don't think I do. I don't think I will. Are you a fake Tom Cruise fan? I guess so. <gasps> <laughs> now, I, I'm really excited. And Paramount TV, Paramount Plus has a lot of cool stuff on it. Um, I think I have it through Amazon Prime. I know Amazon Prime, you could connect your Paramount TV Plus and your Amazon Prime together. I'm sure you could get like an extra like, oh, take an extra week off or something like that. Uh, you know, like mm-hmm. a free subscription, free trial. Uh, so if you haven't, you know, this is the time to check it out. You know, you've got a movie, you've got a, a cool movie that we're going to talk about on there. And you've got a bunch of cool stuff that Austin talked about. So. Now's the time. Okay. And with that, we will see you in one minute. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. We have just finished watching Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain. This is the first time I've ever seen the movie. It was a recommendation by somebody who was listening to our podcast, and I was a big fan of this movie. Really? Why do you say that's so surprised? Well, I'm surprised because I didn't know if how big of a fan you were going to be, and you're saying big fan, so I'm, I'm guessing you love this movie. Maybe. Maybe. I, I I really enjoyed this movie. I didn't expect it to be so funny. Okay. And it is very, very, very ambitious. 
like especially towards the end it's like okay <laughs> well i'll i'll 100 give you this the movie is very funny and very ambitious and i give him props for that now and i want to say this i like the movie but there's there's one big component of the movie that throws me off a lot and i saw the movie technically two and a half times and i think because i figured oh this specific issue that I'm having is probably just like, I'm just, I just need to get adjusted to it. You know, I just have to kind of switch my, switch my, my way of thinking. And then the second time I was like, no, like I, I have this issue, like it's there. And I was like, oh man, I, if this were cleaner, like I could have totally gotten on board with it, but there's just one, it's just that one component that's sticking out that I'm like, you know, it it goes from love it to like it. Mm, okay yeah all right but i I would say this number one the movie is hilarious like the actual jokes the dialogue the like the situations that the characters get in the way it's performed uh like the action the way the camera captures the jokes it's all funny like it's a tier funny this movie's a lot funnier than you think it is yeah I, i i feel like it's funnier than most other wuxia movies i've seen which we will we will try to define what a wuxia uh, film is, or rather what a, a wuxia story is, because a lot of these wuxia shows and movies are all based off of these books. Yeah, and another thing is, and I think you said it best, the movie's ambitious, which, I mean, we were talking about it right before we started recording. I like movies that are ambitious. Sometimes they might miss the mark in certain regards. Uh, sometimes it might be a little sloppy. It might be a little unruly, hectic, but I like ambition. I like seeing filmmakers go in and try something new, try something different outside of the grain. And even if they don't succeed, I like seeing it because it's like, God damn it, like hats off to you, man. You know, it's huge. This is a massive movie. Like the stuff that they're doing with the special effects, the visual effects, kind of all the different characters that they're trying to bring in. It's it's a lot. So yes, massive points for that. Outside of that, though, I think if you're someone who hasn't seen too many wuxia films, if you're not too familiar with like Hong Kong new wave cinema, I recommend the movie, right? Like maybe you'll have the same issue I have. And if you're on the fence about watching it, I would probably listen to the rest of the episode. We will spoil the movie. But maybe if we talk about it more, you'll be like, oh, let me watch it to make my own opinion. But I would say if you're on the fence, like maybe you want to give it a shot, go for it. Just watch it. I don't think you're going to regret it. I don't think you're going to walk out angry or anything. There's just a certain aspect that's like knocking a few, knocking it a few points down for me personally. Yeah, it is. It is an old movie, you know, so there's like it's in in parts is kind of like, okay, well, I see what you're trying to do. I understand it. But a movie now would have like made that look better. Yeah, it's still it's still like looks good where I'm excited, I'm in the movie, you know. Uh, we tried to find this movie. We we said before that the movie was on the Paramount Plus app. That is not true. The movie that's on the Paramount Plus app is uh, the sequel or the remake, which is not the, the movie that we're going to talk about. <laughs> it's a very different movie. I only watched like five minutes of it. And I was like, well, this doesn't seem right. I've, I talked to George. We found it on the like Internet Archive. I actually bought the DVD. I watched it on the Internet Archive and I watched it on the DVD. And like within the first five minutes, this one was like 10 times as more 
as more entertaining. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you would like to watch the movie, we have it. Well, I guess we can link it uh, in our Discord on the Internet Archive thing. I, I guess it's legal. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Internet Archive, right? It's like preserving history. Absolutely. This is a movie that's not readily available. It's not. I mean, we at we at, we said it was on Paramount TV Plus, but it's clearly not there. Uh, so you could look at you can look at the link to the Internet Archive. Uh, you can buy the movie like Austin got the DVD. I know Shout Factory has a Blu-ray copy of the movie. So if you really the Blu-ray copy actually has a lot more of the behind the scenes stuff. Like I saw some of the behind the scenes stuff, but there's like an entire like alternate cut of the movie that has like 30 minutes of the movie that that we that I didn't see. OK, well, 30 minutes. Yes. Whoa. Okay. I didn't know it was that drastic. It feels like a different movie, and some. It's interesting. We'll get into it later. But you could buy the movie Blu-ray DVD. I feel like it's worth it. You know, it's like an important piece of of uh, Hong Kong cinema history. If you're into that kind of thing, but we also will link the Internet Archive version on the uh, Discord. So I guess we'll get into the story of this movie now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Ah, the character names are is something that I have a hard time remembering. So I'm just going to call them. So uh, so I actually, <laughs> in my second pass, uh, in my second viewing, I did actually write down everybody's names. Um, okay, so if I say Soldier Boy, mm-hmm. you'll hit me with the... I'll hit you with the name. Okay, all right. So this movie takes place in like the Warring States period. Uh, I guess the 16 kingdoms period is what the wiki says. While before the unification of China, I don't know. It's some something around there. All right. So you have these uh, this war going on and there's the blue army and they're kind of like waiting for their scout and their scout arrives. And he's like, the yellow army is retreating by sea. And then they have these two generals who are like, Okay, well, let's go chase them by sea. And the other general's like, "No, let's chase them by land." And then they ask the scout, "Who will you obey?" And he's like, "Both of you." And the general's like, "That's insubordination. <coughs> That's insubordination. I'm going to kill you." And he's like, "Uh, the none of you." And then the other general's like, "That's insubordination too. Let's both kill him." So then the scout, uh, who's our our main character, his name is he's D Min Kui. Deeming, deeming queen. I, deeming I think in the movie, we in the in the episode, we could refer to him as Soldier Boy because that's kind of what they, <laughs> even what the characters yeah. refer to him. Yeah, as. the yeah the characters just call him Soldier Boy. So Soldier Boy, uh, he's fighting off his old army, but he's like he's got some skills. Like he's not, he's kind of fighting off the army, and then he like, but you know, it's an army, so he's like running away, and then he like hides from the army. Then he sees a boat and tries to like steal it. Or get the the guy on the boat to like drive him away or sail him away, and the guy's like, "Um, I can't because someone else had the same idea." And then we see another guy, a red soldier, who's played by Sammo Hung, who is a very very famous action. He's very famous in the Hong Kong action scene. He's done a, he's worked a lot with Jackie Chan and stuff. Uh, so if you were in Hong Kong and you saw Sammo Hung, you'd be like, hey, it's Sammo Hung. You know what I mean? It's and, a big, it's, he's kind of a big deal. <laughs> and also when we're saying like blue and red soldier, that's what their costumes, that's the prominent colors that their that their outfits 
are. So like Soldier Boy has a blue, he's from the Blue Army, so he's his costume is mostly blue. Uh, the Red Soldiers, his costume is red, right? And and they call him Fat Man at the end of the movie, so I, I guess <laughs> we can refer to him as Fat Man. I'd I'd rather call him the Red Soldier. <laughs> uh, so the Red Soldier is like ah an enemy. So they they like fight a little bit, and then the the uh. The guy who they're trying to steal the ship from, he's like climbs up the post to get away from their fight. And then he sees the yellow army and they shoot arrows at him. And then the soldier boy and the red soldier like hide and they're like, oh, I bet it's my reinforcements coming to kill you. And then he's like, well, how do you know it's not the red army? So they're like, okay, well, we'll check the arrows. And they find out that it's actually the yellow army. So they run away and... The red soldier is like, all right, I'm 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 done fighting with you. I'm leaving. But he leaves behind his like little water jug. And the soldier boy, he's like, oh, dude, you forgot your thing. And, but the red soldier is like, get away from me. You're 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 cramping my style. But he f- finds out that, oh, you're trying to return this thing to me. Hey, you're a good guy. And they kind of become friends. They're talking about how they grew up on the same side, the same town, but on different sides. <laughs> and... <laughs> And then um, the yellow army and the green army start their fight. And the the blue the soldier boy and the red guy are like, ah, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, let's pretend to fight so that we can make our escape. And they're kind of like pretending to fight so that they can like get away from the battle. But they end up like having to fight people. They pretend to be dead for a little bit, but they get caught. So they run to the edge of a cliff. And the red soldier's like, Soldier boy, get out of here. And but he's like, no, I can't leave you behind. You're my friend. And he's like, well, better one dead than two of us. So he like pushes him off accidentally off the cliff. And the red soldier gets captured. Soldier boy, he's like dangling on the mountain. He like falls. And he is like stuck in this like weird, like mystical mountain kind of thing. This is where the movie gets a little more supernatural because mm-hmm. he's like trying to find shelter in a cave and these like monsters attack him. I, I think they're supposed to be vampires. They're, they're attacking him. They're like coming out of the pots. He's trying to get away. And then all of a sudden these swords just come flying in and just piercing through the heads of these vampires. And he's like, Oh God, what the hell's happening? And then we meet master Master Ting? Master Ding Ying. Ding Ying. Master Ding. The this this is like the sword master. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like his he's he has this like really big hat. He's wearing all white. And he has two swords that he can um kind of control kind of through telekinesis. Uh and he saves him and he tells him that like, oh, these are all the souls of, of something, like the old soldiers or whatever. And uh Soldier Boy's like, yo, can I be your student? And the master's like, no, I don't take students. And he like flies away. The Soldier Boy, he's trying to like find this master again. Um, and then he he comes across these like, what are they like bats or something? Bats? Some some monsters and the, these two monks and the sword master, they they come and fight them. And you can tell that the the sword master and the the monk kind of know each other, but for some reason the monk doesn't like the soldier. Mm-hmm. They're they're all like these 
they all have like superpowers. They can all like kind of fly and stuff. And they're there to fight evil. Yeah. Because in, in the mountain, there is some kind of evil spirit that they're they're all like kind of sworn to fight. So the monk's name is Zhao Ru. And his assistant, his protege is called Yi Zen. Yi Zen and Zhao Ru. But I, I think we could just call him the monk and the, the protege. Z or yeah, Z. Little monk. Little monk. <laughs> Big, little monk, monk and little monk. Yeah. So like the, the teacher monk, he's... He's kind of standoffish with the sword master and the <laughs> soldier boy and the little monk kind of become friends because they don't have any beef with each other. Not really. Uh, so they're there to fight evil. So they go into this temple and there is these like, I don't know what they are. They're like servants of the devil or the blood devil or something. And they're there to like, I don't really know what. I think they're there to summon the blood devil. Uh, so there's this really cool fight for for most of it. Uh, Soldier Boy is just kind of like watching because he doesn't have any powers. He's just like a regular guy. And the the fight ends up uh, almost endangering Soldier Boy. So the the monk and the swordmaster, they save him. But the evildoers get away. And then the the monk and the swordmaster kind of get into an argument because they don't want to work together. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to go this way and I hope I never see you again. But then they end up coming back to the same spot because the blood devil is has awakened. And for right now, the blood devil is like a red sheet that's flying around and repelling all of their weapons. Monk teacher gets messed up like he, he he's like infected with the blood devil disease. And the blood devil is kind of subdued by this this long I think they call him long brow. Long, long beard, long beard, uh, Cheng Cheng Mei, Cheng Mei, yeah, I think Cheng Mei, who's also played by Sammo Hung. So he's got soldier. like two characters. Yeah, he's played by the same guy and he's kind of fighting with his beard like he can control his eyebrows. They're like super long and he's kind of holding down the blood devil, but he can only hold down the blood devil for so many days. And he tells Soldier Boy, I can only do this for 49 days. You're going to have to go find Lady Li Chi to uh, use the twin swords of heaven and and earth to, to defeat the blood devil. Otherwise, we're all going to die. And <laughs> so he's like, OK, I'm going to go get the masters to help me go go find the swords. But the sword master is trying to help the monk and to help the monk, they have to go to this this fortress so they go to the fortress on the way there. There's this like funny fishing scene. And then the blood devil attacks him again. But he's disguised as Master Ding. And then he transforms again into a woman. But the the real sword master, he defeats that aberration by cutting off their head. Yeah. So like the, the, the blood devil is like a red cloak that's like flying through the air. But... In the mountain, in the ruins, there's like a giant cocoon, I guess, for the blood devil, which the long beard warrior is like holding down, right? So he's like, he's, right. he's he's staying by the cocoon, holding it, trying to make sure that it doesn't grow or doesn't, the process doesn't expedite, expedite, expedite. Yeah, the, the blood devil I has still some power, even though long beard is holding it down, it can still like fuck with our heroes mm -hmm. in some way. Uh, so they, they go to the mount, the fortress, the ice fortress, 
and they meet all these women there and they're like servants of the ice queen the countess and she says they they tell her or they tell our, our heroes that well the lady will come out if fate if it, if fate allows it but she only comes out when this blue flame is lit and it's about to go out so probably not going to get any help the two um, students are like ah but you should help because we, we need we need help we're on an important mission the sword master's like oh they have their rules we need to respect them but he ends up using his chi to like keep the flame lit so that it would greaten the chances of the ice queen coming out and helping them which she does but there's like a fight because they're like oh she looks like the the witch that attacked us in when we were fishing so she has to like kind of defend herself and she she has like sub-zero powers like she can <laughs> freeze you <laughs> she freezes them but in the process uh soldier boy gets hurt uh so she she ends up taking the monk in for healing and the sword master takes on soldier boy and he like gives him a little bit of the the magic ability that everybody else has so that he can like fly around and stuff and and not be useless <laughs> so it's really goofy trans transfusion process um he's like he like bulges up in places and he's like making funny faces so that happens the the countess is healing the monk but the, the students they're kind of impatient they're like damn what why are we waiting we need to go see the master and the women are preventing them from disturbing the countess because you know that's their job the main there's like one that's kind of in charge of like there's like three three important ice women there's the ice queen her assistant and then there is moon lee which is the actress's name she's like the one that's kind of in charge of all the guards i guess she's third in command and she's like to get away from the guards the monk pulls her dress so that she's or her robe or whatever so she has to like she doesn't want to be ashamed because she's nude, right? So she she covers up, and then that's how they get away from the 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 ice queen's guards. But they get caught anyway, and she's like, "That was really rude, what you did." I'm gonna go tell your teacher, and the monk's like, "No, don't tell my teacher; he'll be mad at me." Uh, Soldier boy doesn't care. He's not he's not doesn't care much for rules. Uh, so she she gets the little monk to like slap himself, um, and then. They, the monk is healed, but he needs to stay in the fortress to like fully recover. So the sword master uh, and the count, like the sword master kind of helps the countess a little bit because healing, healing the monk was like an, uh, a very um, intense task. And she almost like collapses and he catches her and she's like, how dare you touch me? So they have this fight. But, like when, when people fight in these movies, it's kind of like a, getting to know this other person kind of thing so them fighting is actually them falling in love and she's like well you need to leave you're on an important mission i'll save three moves for you when you get back and the sword master's like okay i promise i'll be back and then he like leaves but she's like looking after him longingly <laughs> it's, it's really funny uh so the the sword master and the two students go off to complete the rest of the mission they stop at the same fishing spot from before and the sword master is like all right soldier boy i want you to become my student but you need a weapon here i'll loan you my sword and it's the same sword that cut the head off of the 
the the apparition from before. So sword soldier boy takes the sword and he tests it out, but there's like this blood that's on the sword already, and it shoots over to the sword master and infects him. So now he's sick. <laughs> so they have to go back to the fortress and ask the countess to heal the sword master too. But she's so spent from fixing the monk that she can't she can't help him. So the infection takes its course and he becomes like a, a blood devil. He's like, he's like evil now. Yeah, he's he becomes evil. And the Ice Queen is trying to to kill trying her hardest to heal him. And when she can't, she's like, Alright, I have to kill you. I'm sorry, my love. But the it's they take too long and she's like, Alright, I gotta I guess I gotta freeze the entire mountain to contain the blood devil. So she freezes the entire mountain, but the people don't get away in time. Uh, so everybody gets frozen except for Soldier Boy, Little Monk, and Moon Lee. So it's just the three of them left. They are, agree on going to get the twin swords to, to kill the, the cocoon. But the, the apparition, the evil swordmaster, he gets away. The ice powers are not enough to contain him. So now it's like a race against the clock. They they go over to Lee Chi's like uh, where she is in the mountains, but it's actually this other guy who's tied to a rock with chains. He's the Heaven Sword, and he's there to guard the gate into evil evil territory or the evil door. And if the Blood Devil gets there, you know it's it's bad news for the rest of the world. Um, so they're like, all right, uh, where's the, Li- where's Li Chi? And he's like, oh, she's over there. You got to go over there. So they're about to leave to go get the twin swords, but the evil sword master has arrived and he wants to get into the evil territory or the evil door to become even stronger. So he has to fight heaven's sword. The guy chains chained to the rocks. The evil sword master ends up getting through and there's like this suction thing that's happening and soldier boy almost gets like lost in it but the little monk helps him and it the la- the last thing the heaven sword is able to do is to shoot the boys over to <laughs> to lady chi lady lee but the the moon lee she is just going on foot because she thought that they were gonna die <laughs> so she's they're they're separated for a little bit uh they get to lady chi she she tells them uh, here are the swords. Don't let them touch because if you do, you'll kill yourselves and the swords. And they're like, "Wait, what?" And then she's like, "Wait, let me ask for clarification. Let me get, let me get the uh, the the user's manual." And she has some kind of like psychic link with the the eyebrows guy who's still holding down the blood devil cocoon. The cocoon is much bigger now, and he's like on his last bit of eyebrow strength to to keep this thing down. And he's like. Oh, well, the swords can't touch, but they must be united. And to unite them, the minds must be in sync. So she does this like a mind sync thing with the, the two guys and herself where they will she will speak and the other guy's mouth will move. So they have some kind of like psychic link, but they're still separate people, right? There's, she didn't like fuse them. It's not like a, a fusion situation, you know, they just have this psychic link. So they're like, all right, let's go, let's go fight the blood devil. Let's go get it, get this done. They fly over there. They see the, the cocoon. They're about to unite the swords, but 
the evil evil sword master he blocks them and they're they're like in the sky fighting it maybe in space i don't know he's blocking them from uniting the swords the ice countess she like wakes up from being frozen and she's like i know what i got to do she flies over there and tackles the evil sword master and she says we'll be reunited in the next life and they explode in space and lady lee the keeper of the sword she's like oh what a noble sacrifice <laughs> and then the uh little monk soldier boy unite the swords and destroy the cocoon and they fly over with eyebrows to to reunite with uh uh moon lee and she's like yeah good job guys and soldier boy he he sees this he's the entire time he's had the red soldiers like water flask thing and he speaks to him with the psychic link and he says one day when the wars are done i'll come and give this back to you and as he's saying that we see the red soldier and his mouth is moving saying these words and he's like what the hell he's he's like in the middle of fighting somebody and the dude that he's fighting is is like what the hell why are you talking like that <laughs> it's really funny by the way the guy he's fighting that's the director of the movie oh is it yeah <laughs> oh okay that's cool and then and then our three heroes they they fly away and because they're still like linked psychically the red soldier also flies away and then it cuts to the credits that's the end of the movie so how do you how do you want to start this you want to talk about pros or do you want to start off with cons because sometimes we, we don't actually have a formula into as to how we start talking about the movie. You can't, right? Don't tell the people that. We need to sound like we're always prepared and we have a structure. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, sometimes the structure changes. But this is... It the, does change. The, the reason I bring this up is because this movie, in my eyes, and personally in my eyes, it has a lot of good parts, but it has one one component that doesn't fly with me. And it kind of hurts the entire experience. Uh, I wasn't sure if, if we wanted it to get into that particular aspect. You've been teasing it so much. Yes. I wonder what it is. You don't know? You, no, I don't know. Okay. Well, how about we just start talking about it then? Okay, I guess we could start talking about the, the thing that you didn't like about the movie. That's a good way to start this. Well, and, and I, I'll, I'll say this. I it's because It's because this component is so jarring for me that it, it kind of hurt me getting into the movie right because i've said this before i like i'm emotional about these movies right like that's kind of how i i rate movies it's just how does it make me feel right you could have a mm-hmm. movie that is not really all well put together but i can get engulfed in it if it just triggers something right but this movie just kind of would block my enjoyment and it would take me out of the experience i was like oh my god like why why is this so why am i not getting into it and that specific thing is the editing. I had a hard time getting into this movie because of the editing. And it's editing as a whole, because it's not just the editing of the action scenes. It's the overall pacing. It's how information's conveyed. It's how rushed the movie feels. And it's the action as well. All of these components are kind of brought in together, have a, such a relentless pace that I was like, whoa, what is happening here? You know? Yeah, it, it is definitely a different feel <laughs> yes to to how movies are now like even the ending feels very very abrupt this movie is it ends on it ends abruptly like there's no you know like he kind of says this line to the red soldier and it's just like 
and they, they just fly off screen and that's it. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? Like that? Yeah. Is that the end of the movie? And I was like, this feels like it was cut a little too, like characters flying off screen isn't a bad way to end the movie, right? I mean, we're in the superhero era right now. Like, I bet you there's a bunch of movies where the heroes fly off off screen, you know, into the horizon. But the way it was filmed, like the, the composition, the way it was set up, it was just like, they just fly off screen and boom, that's it. And I'm like, yeah, it, oh, that felt kind of janky. I, I think that is that is like a style that is in Hong Kong. I think a lot of old movies in general kind of do that. Um, but you, you notice it especially in these these films. It's just something that I think you get used to if you watch a lot of these movies. If you don't watch a lot of these movies, it can be very jarring. And I think that's and I think that's the I think that's the key under key element here is I think I said before I have wuxia is not a genre of film that I've studied or seen or witnessed a lot of you know it might not even just be a wuxia thing it might be a Hong Kong cinema thing it, it, that's definitely a possibility I mean Hong Kong new wave cinema is not a, a cinema that I've really dipped my toes in at all it's just there, I mean I've seen Wakar Wai uh, but I mean, that's pretty much the only filmmaker that I can name off the top of my head. Maybe there's a few other, but it's not a genre of film that I'm really engulfed in to sit, you know, you know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. other, there were other genres that like, oh, French New Wave. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with. It. I know Francis Truffaut. I know uh, Jean-Luc Godard, um, like a few others. Right. Like the, the pretty basic, pretty basic understanding of it. But with this genre, I don't. Right. And coming in. Just going in straight for it. It's like, whoa, this is a lot. And it's it's very janky, right? Like I was thinking, yeah, that's essentially the the ending is a perfect summation of that, right? Because you have a hero who was corrupted and the love, his love sacrificed herself and him in order to save the world. And they destroyed the blood devil. And there's still a lot of work ahead of them, you know, because they wars are still going to go on and they, you know, like the work, the work isn't finished and they're flying off into the sunset. That kind of, if, if it's funny, it kind of summarizes a little bit of like the Top Gun Maverick ending where him and Penny are like flying on the plane towards the sunset, but they're handled so very <laughs> differently that it's just like, whoa. Now, gra- granted, very different genres, very different. It's like a $250 million budget ending. Yes. Versus uh, a $5 million budget. Yes, <laughs> true. But I think it, it it goes more to what you were saying, that it's a stylish of filmmaking that I think was embraced during this time in this place. Whereas, you know, seeing it from, from very distant eyes, right, as a Western mm-hmm. audience member, as a Western viewer in the, in the 2020s, right, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. And I think yeah, that's yeah. and I think that's the problem that I have with this movie. It's just and I wouldn't even say it's a problem the movie has. It's a problem that I'm having getting into the film, right? Because I don't want to go in and mm-hmm. say, well, this is a bad movie because it does this and this and this. No, probably no, because I still enjoyed it and I, I could see the appeal of it, but it was just so much that I was like, whoa. And and to be fair, if look, if I had seen a, a hundred other Wuxia films from this time. Right, and not not no no not even Wuxia, a hundred other Hong Kong new wave cinema films. Right, then I'd be in a much better place to say, oh no, this is bad. Right, like this is a bad movie, and here's why. But as an outsider, I'm like, well, 
I don't really know. You know, you're you're asking someone from someone who's very distant from this place and era that it's like, I I guess. Yeah, it moves like in the beginning. It moves very very fast. Like it is like I I can't. Do you know how long it takes for him to like meet uh the red soldier? Probably like less than ten minutes. By by six minutes, he's like trying to chase him down to return his like water thing. And I'll say this. I like that in the beginning because it gets you right into it, right? Like, we're not wasting mm-hmm. no time, no fluff. Like, bam, we are into it. And I'm like, I like that. Like, I'm I'm cool. I'm into this. He meets the Swordmaster right after that. I think it's towards the end, the middle and the end, where I start having an issue. Like, un- like you've kind of lost some of the characterization for some of these people. Like, the Mistress and the Mistress Guards. They have little scenes here and there. I'm not saying that, they're, that they lack characterization entirely. But the movie just kind of... Like, because the movie spent, even the, (sighs) there's a speed and efficiency that the first part of the movie has that the second half loses, right? Six minutes. The second half, like you're getting into more of the mystical, like supernatural stuff. Yes. And you're not seeing a lot of the like martial arts anymore. Yeah. But also the way characters interact. Like if you compare the scene where the four characters meet in the beginning, the sword master, the soldier boy, the little monk and the monk, like they have, they immediately build up a rapport with each other where it's like, okay, the monk and the swordsman have issue, have beef with each other. Not really so much the swordsman with the monk, but the monk clearly has an issue with the swordsman. But the prote- but the little monk and the soldier boy, they get along fine. You can immediately get that. And it's like, great. This is the kind of characterization I like. The issue is later on in the film where you start when you're bringing in the blood devil and that's not totally well explained because you have the cocoon, but the blood devils can still hurt people and it could shape shift. And then you have the mistress who can kind of help. It starts getting too bogged down by the fantastical elements and it loses some of the characterization. I'm like, I, I feel like I'm running a hundred miles per hour, but I'm not really retaining or getting much out of it. You know, like sometimes they'll get into like some of the the philosophy of the earth and the heaven, which probably meant a lot more to Hong Kong audiences back then. But as oh, yeah, but as a Western audience member from 2020, it's just like I can't really I can't see the the math in my head. Right. I can't see how it all comes (laughs) together. And I think that's that's part of the problem I'm having with the movie. It's just really trying to get in and completely being with the movie. But it'll take me out. It'll take me out because there's, so there's something little... lost in translation for you. Y- yes, a hundred percent. That's why I don't think the movie's bad. I can't say if it's bad. And I'll say this: there's a lot of elements I still like, but the movie is so relentlessly paced that I'm like, okay, cool. It's great starting the story off this way because you're you're like you're slingshotting me into the story. I understand what's happening, but then you're you're throwing all these different things at me. You were losing some of the characterization for some philosophical talk about earth and nature and and heaven. And you're bogging down all the details with the blood devil this and the sky ball that and the, the sky ball, the, the sky ball. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, what? What am I supposed to get? And then at the end, after the climax and after the tragic ending for the swordsman, the movie ends like that. And I'm just like, well. Did I even watch a movie? Because it, it was so quick. <laughs> uh, That's what's well, throwing me I off. Don't, I don't think that there is a loss of characterization. 
Like I, I can see your your points about the the breakneck like editing and the how they throw in a lot of the fantastical stuff at you towards the end, and it can be kind of confusing. But I don't know about the lack of characterization. That's the only thing I'll say. I don't know what you're smoking, George. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think that there is like a kind of uh, the you have like these young like all of their masters are like gone right mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. So you have these like three students who are kind of like looking to to do this impossible task. Um, and I think that having those three characters is kind of like the movie's whole theme with the future belongs to the next generation. You know, which they say like 10 million times at the end of the movie. <laughs> uh, but the there's actually a different cut of the movie that gives you more of the uh, more of Moon Lee's character, the the Ice Queen's guard who whose name I don't even know if they ever say they I have it written down. What's uh, her name? I Ji Wu Zong. Z- Z- so Ji Wu. I have it written down here. Ji-woo. I can't remember exactly when they said it, but I did write it down for a reason. Okay. Um, and there's this like weird gag with her, like, because the guy's little monk is a monk, right? And monks are supposed to be celibate. So there's this, the fact that he's the one that pulls her dress so they can get away is like supposed to be funny because, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. But it's kind of like, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess they're they're trying to save their their teachers or whatever. They repeat it towards the end when the they're kind of being um, attacked by Heaven's Blade, the guy tied to the rocks. Uh, so they they keep that bit because there's a, a moment where she's she falls on him and the uh, soldier boy's laughing and then she punches him in the face and then <laughs> and he tries to punch her back but she has her sword. This, very wacky. It's like little things that if you blink, you'll miss it. Oh, no, no, no. A hundred percent. You you can't blink when you watch this movie because you will miss a lot of stuff. Why do you think I saw the movie two and a half times? <laughs> because I watched it the first time and I was like, one, I didn't get any of the characters' names. Two, there were a lot of jokes in there that I must have missed or that I can't register entirely right now. Three... I'm so confused as to what happened at the ending with like the explanation of Earth and nature and stuff. And yeah, it you you feel like you miss a lot of the details. And I, I watched this a second time. I was like, okay, so I got all the characters' names. I understand a little <laughs> bit of this more and more. But this movie is very much blinking. You'll blinking. You'll miss it. And I I do think that the ending is very ambitious. Like specifically the them trying to unite the swords. Yes. Right. It's like very. Like, damn, if this movie would have been made today, like, that would have probably looked a lot better. They probably could have done a lot more, like, choreography with all of that. Oh, because it's essentially a superhero movie at the end. Yeah, they're flying. They're They're fighting and they're flying. But they're not really fighting. They're just kind of flying in a direction and then sometimes one of them's in the way. (laughs) Yeah, they're hovering, mostly. Uh, I mean, this is a movie that would hugely benefit with visual effects, 100%. Mm -hmm. Uh, That being said, I don't like, you know, like, uh, clearly the movie has a lot of technical, like, not issues, but it's very ambitious and the technology just can't meet it entirely. And that's okay. I mean, that's 
it's been happening forever, obviously. Um, this yeah. is an example where you go in, it's like, this is how VFX can enhance your story. Because even just having a VFX ending would have greatly helped the ending. Not to clarify kind of what's actually happening, but also create a more exciting fight sequence between the the, the, the soldier boy and the little monk versus the swordsman, the possessed swordsman. It, like, instantly a lot more engaging to watch. But granted, does it look dated here? Yes. But, I mean, you know, it's I'm not going to be nitpicky like that and just... Like, you know, because clearly they put in, they, they they use their money efficiently for what they can. And it was ambitious. And like I said, I like ambitious filmmakers. You know, I, yeah, sometimes you got to play it safe. And sometimes I like seeing, I, I like you, like just grabbing your shorts and just be like, all right, I'm going to run a three minute mile. It's like, <laughs> I want to see that. Sure. <laughs> this is what this movie is. It's a three minute mile. So fast and ambitious. And yeah. does it hit the three minute mark? Not really. But I don't regret watching it. It was like, damn, that was still pretty good. Yeah, the, I think the that's it's it's like the one thing in, in the movie that kind of like takes me out of it, just because I'm we're in 2023 now, you know. Yes. Um, it, it, we're, but and we and we are a Western audience, Austin. Like this is yeah. There, there's a lot to it, right? Like I bet you some 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 audiences from other places of the world just see our movies for, or our movies back then and are like what the fuck is this like what are they doing and hey, why are they all talk like that well with the <laughs> hi darling listen here listen here bookie boo or something you know and the rest of the world's just like why problems of three people amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world yeah that's weird to other audiences but we just accepted it for some reason right that's that's all it's yeah there is a bit of lost in translation and not literal translation it's more cultural translation but yes which which i will also i also felt that i felt like i'm supposed to know who these people are i'm supposed to know about their beliefs yeah. somewhat you know like this movie doesn't go into a lot of depth in t- teaching me this stuff that an audience its intended audience would already know absolutely you know what i mean and honestly that's fine i mean sure you can have a, f- a film that hand holds you and explains every little thing well this is from this little thing and this myth and this legend and sometimes you don't and it's like you're maybe you'll find something that you'll attach yourself to and enjoy yeah and i think for me personally that's the comedy because this movie is funny even if you think the movie is relentlessly fast uh choppy a little abrupt uh if you get lost in the culture in the legends the myth the myth, the history. You can't deny that this movie's funny. And is it a little inappropriate? Sure. But it's still funny. Like, I laughed. Like, when the monk took off her, like, took off her, um, not dress, but, like, her, um, her garment. It was kind of inappropriate, but it's like, I'm still laughing. Like, it's funny. <laughs> and then she makes him slap himself. Like, that's even yeah. funnier. Like, you don't, you don't see anything. You just, no. you see him tug, and then you hear her, what? <gasps> well, and then, and and then, then it like cuts to the, to the to the cave shot where the two guys are running and you just hear the women in the background like ah, blah, blah, blah. and the guys are running away and you're like that's funny yeah they're not doing it to be perverts no 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 you know they're they're doing it to like help their master 
But their master's already being helped by the, well, they just, by the Countess with Sub-Zero powers. So Man, this movie is funny. And it starts off funny, right? It starts off funny, yeah. Like, the, the two generals commanding Soldier Boy. Who are you going to obey? Well, if you obey one of us, that's insubordination. If you obey both of us, that's insubordination. If you obey none of us, we're both going to kill you for insubordination. Like, the dude has no choice. No. He's... He's dead for delivering the message. It's so funny because this movie starts off with like the camera going through the mountains, the misty mountains. And it's like there's voiceover about the mysticism and the magic behind these mountains and how the war, how the world is in war and stuff. Right. And then you get this shot of like these soldiers on horseback and you're like, we need a scout to to figure out what our next where the enemy is at. So it plays it already i think they don't they shoot an arrow at him too yes yes they do shoot like, an shoot an arrow i thought the first time i watched it that he turned from he turned he became he was an arrow that became a human so i was kind of confused with that uh-huh but they shoot an arrow but the movie starts off pretty not serious but it starts off with like um an epic feeling right like oh this is an epic yeah. movie about magic and armies, and warriors, and war. And from the very first interaction between characters, the two general, the two generals, and the fucking scout, you're already like, well, this is ridiculous. This is, <laughs> this is ridiculous. What? This, yeah. the, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. It's so ludicrous to kill this man for any choice he makes. And he runs away, and then he, and then he runs into the, 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 the boat guy. And even he's like, I'd like to help you, but there's someone behind me with a sword. The, the boat guy makes me laugh. Yes. Like he's he's only in it for like a minute, but his expressions and the way he climbs up the pole to get away from them <laughs> fighting. And, and the way he tries to like mediate, he's like, all right, on three, we're going to put our, our swords down. One, two. <laughs> and they start fighting with him in the middle. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and the, the, the way he jumps into the water. Oh, that boatman yeah. was great. And then the, the red soldier, too. Like, it's... This movie is so funny in a slapstick kind of way, almost. And it's it's great in that you can see, like, when you saw the Red Soldier, you're like, ah, he's is he gone the rest of the movie? Is he does he come back? Yes, I I remember telling that's 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 Sammo Hung. You know, that's that's why he's such a huge star. He's he's so charismatic. He's so good at fighting, but he like makes these goofy faces. <laughs> well, it, the the way they were written too, right? Like it's like, oh, we're kind of the same. We just grew up on different neighborhoods, essentially. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's like, well, it kind of just summarizes the stupidity of these wars. It's like, well, we're not really fighting over ideology, religion, uh, policies, politics, or anything. It's just, just, just people fighting, and, and the people leading us are dumb as fuck because the generals were dumb. So it already yeah. endears you to the characters. And, yeah, I remember asking you, like, does he come back? And you're like, he comes back at the end. I was like, damn, like, I wish he was in the movie more because I really liked him. Well, he does get, Sammo Hung does get to play two parts, at least. I didn't know he was the, the long beard until you mentioned it. And I was like, that's awesome. Oh, he didn't. That's funny. As soon as, as soon as he came from the mountain, I don't know, I, maybe it's because I've seen some of these movies before. Where I was like, is that him again? And I had to like pause it and like look at his face. I'm like, that's him. Look at the way his eyebrows are moving. That's a Samuel Hung face. I didn't I didn't recognize it as like, all right, so who's who's this long beard? Well, I was also just 
But I was kind of like intrigued by the fact that he's able to control his facial hair in such a way that like he, you know, like he can't <laughs> remove it from their faces. I was like, that is, that's weird, but fun. That's cool. Yeah. This movie is so funny. And I mean, the- like imagine like a, a $250 million budget movie where one of the guys is fighting with his eyebrows. You would like never see that in punches. Hollywood. Oh my, that would be great though. That I would love be. that. I think the the comedy lies not just in the um not in not just in the dialogue because the movie is very funny with dialogue right like there's a scene where they're fighting the blood devils like minions or warriors and <laughs> they, there are so many funny lines in that in that sequence where um they're like the blood devils like we kill believers we kill non-believers we kill blue soldiers we kill red soldiers we kill <laughs> all we, like and just listing all the people that they kill and and the soldier boy's like do they spare anyone <laughs> it's just the way he says it the way it's the way it's cut it's just like so like bam bam boom it's and like he's just he's just like sitting there watching this happen <laughs> and the little monk is is there too and it's it's almost like we're him right and he's like are these guys bad guys He's like, yeah, they're the bad guys. They're wearing black. We're the good guys. We're wearing white. How hard is this to understand? And Just enjoy. And then the blood, <laughs> the blood devil's like, bad guys don't wear. Or oh no, who says it? Um, the the white, uh, the eyebrows. Eyebrows says that. Yeah, earlier. bad guys don't wear white. <laughs> and it's or just, later actually. It's just that like level of self self referential like self self reference that's just hilarious. Yeah, I mean, you didn't yeah. need it, and honestly. Anyone in this situation wouldn't really say a line of dialogue like that, but it's so right. funny and it it they're perfectly paced. The jokes are perfectly paced. That's the one thing. That's the one part of the editing that's really well done are the jokes because they're like punched up. They're quick. You move on to the next like it, it's so fast that you can't even keep up with all the jokes because it's There's just even one. comedy like in in the action itself. Right, like I'm thinking specifically when you, when they fight the the cultists in the temple, because the monks they have these hats that they can kind of control through telekinesis. They're like it's like a, uh, what's his name Kung Lao in um Ooh, yeah Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Kombat. Like he can throw his hat and he has he throws his hat like Captain America basically. But like there's a one of the cultists is like flipping around and the monk throws his hat and it like catches the guy and he's like bouncing between <laughs> the 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 wall and the the cylinders like a like a pinball the physical comedy and this is great like that is a visual gag and it lands and the movie has a lot of those as well w one of the early jokes is, is kind of a visual gag right when the the soldiers are all fighting so you know the the blue soldier and the red soldier are they're friends and they're walking through the forest and they get ambushed by the green soldiers and the yellow soldiers and and by some other soldiers too. And, you know, they're like, hey, let's pretend like we're fighting. <laughs> you know, the red soldier or the, the red soldier and soldier boy. Like, let's pretend we're fighting so nobody else actually wants to fight us. But there's like a bunch of visual gags that come from that scene, right? Where like there are three people that are ganging up on one. But then, like, six guys start fighting those three, and then those three become nine. And then those, like, they look at the, the guy like, hey, no, let's get him. He's the one causing all this. <laughs> and then there's a sequence where the sol where Soldier Boy and the Red Soldier are like, let's pretend we're dead, you know, and we'll wait this out. 
and they look behind him and there's a there's a dead soldier who kind of starts looking at them and he was pretending well, to be he, dead too <laughs> i think he asks oh how long are we gonna have to pretend to be dead and then the the other guy pretending to be dead is like well hopefully not long and they're like wait who said that <laughs> And the guy's behind them. And they just all get up and start fighting. And then you see other soldiers that were pretending to be dead just get up and start running away. (laughs) It's those visual gags that just like, oh, this is really fun and fresh. And it's just entertained. Like you're you're watching not only a fight scene, but you're watching a funny one. Oh, yeah. And it it makes it a lot easier to watch, Mm -hmm. I think. Yes. Because it's with when you have people doing like these like really fantastical things. It's hard to to like watch it with a straight face in like from a modern perspective, mm-hmm. unless you're trying, unless you're like really into this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm you're like you understand the context, or you're you're like studying the film or whatever. If you're just like a casual, like I like action movies, and you watch this movie, there's gonna be some fu- stuff that you find inherently funny, and because the movie kind of makes all this funny, all this stuff funny on purpose it makes it a lot easier to watch and you're more willing to accept some of the ridiculousness yeah because this movie is is different than what we're accustomed to right the editing is is very there is a lot of there's a lot of cuts and it's very easy to get lost in all the action scenes sometimes you can't tell what's happening you're like whoa wait is he flying through the air on his hat and you're like but i can't really see it because it's at night and it's being cut so quickly it's so jarring and you're in that scene that battle at the end in in the not at the end uh that battle at in the temple in the abandoned temple with the blood devil's guards like Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the comedy that movie that scene would have been not as enjoyable because i can't really tell what's happening yeah there's some cool spark like there's some cool fire effects and there's some cool wire work but I can't really see it because it's just cut so quickly. It's just snip, snip, well, snip, the, snip, there's snip. two two things about that. It is cut quickly, but also the the cuts that is available on the Internet Archive is a very, very poor quality. If you have the Blu-ray, if you have maybe even the VHS, the DVD is kind of hard to see it, too. But they did, you know, they did take the time and effort to light those scenes. But when you convert to these digital formats, a lot of the color and the lighting, the intended lighting is lost. And you also have so, to account pixelation, you know, um, yes, bit rate. Yes. So uh, that is that is a good point. That is a good point that all these things can, because I guarantee you, if you had actually seen the film, the actual film uh, stock, and oh, yeah. it, it'd be a much easier viewing. We are like talking- if, if the, the trailer that's available on YouTube from... I think Eureka Entertainment or something, that quality looks so much better than the versions that we we saw. Like the way that that temple fight is lit there looks so much better. So I'll, I'll give you that. That that definitely plays a part of it. But from watching it through the Internet Archive, that was a that was a tough scene to get through in terms of visual uh, information. Just visually, it was tough to get to. But what made it really interesting was um, some of the comedy that came around. It's a soldier boy just trying to not die, and everyone trying to like protect him. Like some of the slapstick humor that comes in, um, you know, and also how bad the, how badass the swordsman is. Like when he'll throw like his sword and he'll like yell, "Retrieve!" Oh, yeah. Like that's badass. Is, that's cool. Like. 
when when you ha- when you see it in its like intended format or in a, a format that's respects the lighting that was actually done for the film it looks so cool that fight is is so cool it might be my favorite part of the movie action wise because the stuff they're doing there is like man he's like shooting lightning at the sword to like prevent the sword master from being able to control it so sword master has to use his other sword uh the the way that they can throw their hats and what makes that the thing with soldier boy really funny is that soldier boy is about to fall but the monk throws his hat and it catches soldier boy right and soldier boy's like well this is weird and he just starts waving at the <laughs> little monk like hey look i'm one of you guys i can fly now that wave is so funny and even if you you're watching it on the internet archive you can still tell he's riding us riding the hat and he's having a fun time so i think what you were saying about uh the quality being poor you're able to enjoy it still because you can still see uh soldier boy's reaction to it well absolutely right and it's the inclusion of those gags that kind of mm-hmm. uh adds a levity to the film and it makes it enjoyable so even if you wanted to just watch it for the gags you totally could and you'd still get a lot a lot of mileage out of those scenes right now there's still a lot of cool components behind it like the actual choreography the film work the the court like the the way everything's blocked and stuff sure and the set design too absolutely there's still a lot of value in all those elements but the comedy is what really kept me going and kind of how comedy was informing character as well right like one of the gags Mm -hmm. is soldier boy trying to get a fish right (laughs) he's trying to get this fish and it's so it's so like almost slapstick it's it's like it's very cartoonish the way he's like jumping trying to catch this fish oh my god i love that scene that scene's great but then also you notice that the little monk can't really swim and it also plays into another gag with like because the little monk is like a monk but not really like he removes the he removes uh he's a student well yeah he's like a monk in progress but he well, like, removes her cloak or her her he's garment. He's like a padawan. Yeah, like a padawan. <laughs> he removes her garment, and also like monks aren't allowed to like eat meat or anything. But then the soldier boy like offers him some fish. So there's like jokes in in that specific scene. But what I like is that it also it, it, they use that gag throughout the film, like when little monk when they're trying to hide from the from the women in the fortress there's like a hole in the wall and they jump through it and they land like in in a body of water i don't know how physically that works but that it but you know it is what it is it's it, a magic mountain it's a magic mountain absolutely. it's in the title <laughs> so <laughs> and, and there's like some comedy in that but then it also at the end little monk is the one that has to save soldier boy in the water so it's a gag that informs character and there's a little payoff at the end with it. It's like, oh, this is great. Like, this is awesome. So that that's what I mean by the movie has certain issues, right? Because like I was saying, there's some confusion, especially there's some with the relentless pacing of the movie. But man, the movie is so funny and it knows how to throw in jokes and when to put it in, put them in that. It's like, all right, like I'm I'm digging this. Yes. Oh, I I thought you were gonna talk about the fish that like laughs at him too. Oh no, no, that, yeah, that, that that's another gag—the fish laughing at him. <laughs> he's he's chasing this fish in the water. He bonks his head. And he's like, "Oh, you're a bad fish!" And then the fish like turns around, like laughs at him. <laughs> it's so it's random so and weird, but you're like, "This is funny." Like it, it's just 
it's just funny. But that's that's kind of my biggest issue with the movie was just the editing, right? And the mm-hmm. editing in terms of editing as a broad term and how it affects everything. Because like I said before, um, the exposition can be a little confusing and it's so quick and rushed that I, I have no real time to digest what they're saying. Some of the action scenes are really just cut so relentlessly, which to be fair can contribute to the format I was watching it in. Uh, but, but see, but just judging from what I saw, it was there are some action scenes where I'm like, I can't tell what's happening, especially at the end, like in terms of space and in terms of what's actually happening. It's just like, whoa, this is this is a lot. I can't really interpret it. Yeah. It, so towards the end, that's when you get more like magic powers. Like I, I, I think the the medium, the middle ground for me is the stuff with the ice ice countess. Yeah. Where she's doing a lot of like movement, which I like, and it feels like some of the stuff is shot in reverse. I don't know how to confirm that. No, 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 no. no. It, you're you're absolutely right. This movie definitely manipulated the film stock a hundred percent. They ramp, they they ramp the stock up, so you so you'll get ramp speed, and, and like you'll get ramp speed. They speed up the stock. They'll um they'll like f- use it in reverse. They definitely use all of those techniques a hundred percent. Yeah, which so I like that stuff, and it does have a lot of powers. There's a bit where they're having that like flirtatious fight between the countess and the swordsman, mm-hmm. where she's like controlling the statues, and at, at one point she's like flying on the stone griffin or Griffith or something. It's like a stone cat with wings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're on these stone animals and they're kind of like they're 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 using their powers to move these creatures yeah he's like riding like an elephant for a little bit it's it's funny you know but then it goes into the the heaven's blade or heaven's sword which is like this powerful guy who's chained himself up to the rocks to guard the hell door mm-hmm. and when that guy is fighting the infected or the possessed teacher it's hard to tell what exactly is happening like you know he's throwing the rocks at him he's using the chains to bind him but it's it's hard to see what he's actually doing because all of this is at night it's very dark and Um, and compare that to the swordsman or even the monks who use their hats the swordsman will throw his sword and retrieve it He, he yells it out retrieve come back to me the yeah. the the heaven's blade is very confusing cuz he his hands are wrapped he's chained to a boulder so you're even wondering how is he able to move it, 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 even longbeard it's well, like, like l- l- well longbeard sure it's kind of wacky that he could control his beard and mustache but you could still see the movements that he's making you could see that he's controlling them but the 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 heaven's blade is just like well he's strapped to this boulder what's he actually and you can't really see it too clearly yeah it is he is kind of funny too cuz like as he's talking to our three young heroes he's kind of like falling on the bold like the boulder's rolling and he's like oh it's like readjust himself and then continue his like serious monologue and stuff but when it comes to the action there's not a lot of like funny stuff happening here it's a lot of uh him fighting evil and he's throwing the chains around and it's hard to tell 
like what his movements are with what's happening with the boulders. You said it like it doesn't make any sense, which is like, yeah, but neither does like controlling the swords through telekinesis. Like that doesn't really make sense. But like I, I can see the movements of the, the sword master align with the movements of the sword. So yes, it makes that, more sense yes, to me. That, that's exactly what I meant. Look, how can a sword master move his sword? God knows. But but just chalk it up to telekinesis. But you could see him grab his sword and throw it. And and you understand like you see the sword flying through the sky and when he says retrieve, you see him catching it. But with the boulder man or with the heaven's blade, you can't really see there's there's not that same visual connection, right? There's there's not that um I can't see the connection. I can't see the choreography or the technique that he's using in order to fight. And that's what's throwing me off, right? Yeah, there's, I don't know, it's just harder harder to follow. Like, there's a bit where they're kind of, like, passing one rock back and forth, which is kind of funny. But yes. you can't just keep doing that, right? Like, you gotta, like, you know, do different things to to do a fight scene. You can't just have people doing one move all the time, you know? Uh, and then when it gets into, like, the, the other stuff it's kind of hard to to follow what exactly is happening and there's less gags here and i think that was kind of one of the issues that i said about characterization as the movie goes on some of the fight scenes become a little less characterized in terms of just what i mean because in terms of choreography there's not too much excitement at the uh, i mean there's a bit less informing of character at the end, right? Like, he's connected to the boulder, but, like, what's his story? How is he able to fight? How is he able to... You don't really get a lot of that, right? Like, when they're passing the boulder... When they're tossing the boulder back to each other, back, you know, the, the Heaven's Blade and uh, the, the possessed possessed swordsman, you could chalk it up to telekinesis, right? They're te- telekinetically throwing the boulder at each other. But later on, you start losing... A sense of how they're actually fighting and i think with that you're you're getting a little less character like with longbeard right there's there's some comedy and in, built into how his beard kind of attaches to everyone like when it attaches to soldier boy um the the monk and how he's like like how he or the monk and the little monk and how they're helping the soldier boy kind of get out of danger by using their they're using their hats um even the the mistress or is it the mi- is it the mistress who's fighting? No, it's not the mistress. It's the the second woman in command in the fortress when she's fighting the swordsman, like her love, right? Or is it? Uh, the, is wait, it? no, th- that's the countess is the one with ice powers and the healing powers. Oh, the mistress you can also move the statue. Okay, and then she, there's the second in command who kind of has some ability as well. See that, and, and that part, I'm kind of getting a little confused with the characterization as well, because there's the, so there's the the countess who can, who is the actual ice queen, like she has the abilities of ice. She's Sub Zero, and she's the she's one, the strongest one. Yes, and she's the one who saves the the monk and tries to help the swordsman, but she's too weak by that point. And then there's the guard, but I, I feel like there's someone else that I just can't remember entirely. There's three of them. Yeah, there's, there's Moon Lee who joins like the. The, the rest there are heroes, she's right? She's the Leia. She, she's Leia. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then there's the second in command, who's the one that tells everybody the Ice Queen is only going to come out if the blue flame is lit, and she's probably like the second strongest in the the castle. Mm. 
and that's kind of what I meant too. It's just there's the there's a bit of confusion, and it's not totally fleshed out. Like they start kind of, like they start uh, they start losing some distinctiveness in terms of where their place as in in the story. Because even right now, I I know for a fact I remember too, the countess or the the one with the sub zero, and then there's the guard, then there's <laughs> Leia. But in 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 other than that, I'm like, wait, what? So what happens? And I'm just like, it's I don't know. Some of those scenes, just some of those action scenes just aren't the aren't hitting as hard now i'll say this the one between the swordsman where they're moving like the he's on the elephant statue and she's on the griffith one that one's cool but it, it just i don't know it, it gets a little confusing to keep up with and the thing is this is an hour and a half movie it moves so yeah and i think the another thing that kind of uh keeps me engaged is the the story being told Right, so the the guy who's chained up to the rocks, why is he chained up to the rocks? He explains that he was tempted by the blood devil. Hmm. That the so in order to uh, prevent himself from being tempted further, he's chained himself up. But he's also a righteous guy, right? Like he's one of the deities or the immortals that are fight that fights evil within these mountains. And I think the war is implied the war against evil is implied to have gone on forever it's an ongoing struggle which i think is really cool like the fight against evil is never over it's a constant thing um so i like that part of it and the fighting with the boulders not so much but i'm there on the um ideological level does that make sense? No, no, it, it does, 100%. Because I, I'll say this as well. I, I did not dislike the ending. Now, I think the movie started really, really strong, and I think it ends in not as strong as a position of a position. But I still don't hate the ending, and I think it goes back to what you're saying. There, it, You're more... You are invested in the good versus evil story. And, uh, I mean, the, the ending isn't funny. I said that the strongest part of this movie is the comedy, but by the end, there isn't really that much comedy. And I had issues with some of the action and the editing. But what keeps me drawn in is that uh, ideological conflict that's there, right? Between good and evil, heaven and earth versus hell, right? And the, the demons and devils. And it, the movie commits to that to that uh, premise so much in setting up the blood devil being a formidable foe that you want to see his ass get kicked. So yeah, even by the end where I'm like, ah, you know, it's not as funny. And some of the actions a little janky with like them just like floating around, you know, trying to get in sync. It's like janky without the comedy that makes it easier to watch. Yes. But, but that being said, I still think it was interesting because the blood devil has been set up to, to be this formidable antagonist that you just want to see his ass get beat. And, and the way that the the blood devil talks too, because oh, yeah. you know, the the special effect of the the voice where it's like echoed and it just sounds it just sounds evil. You know, it's this small effect that they do. I, I love that they do it when the blood devil shapeshifts at the the pond, where he'll he'll laugh, and then <laughs> the 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 swordsman who isn't infected. Like when he's still good, he does the same laugh, but like it doesn't have that effect on it. So it's like they just took the same sound of him laughing, but when it's evil, they just turned on all the evil 
equalizer filters. or whatever <laughs> the, the evil filter but but it works though it makes you hate them it makes you hate the blood devil yeah. and another thing too is you know the idea that you know it's the end of the world but also these two characters the soldier boy and uh, the little monk have to like become in sync right and drift compatible they, they have they have to be drift compatible yes <laughs> which you know and the monk feels the little monk feels bad because he almost left the soldier boy to fight to fend for himself when they were fighting uh the possessed uh swordsman uh at the at the blade peak so you know the, the movie does get you invested in this story of good versus evil and it, it gets you invested in these two characters becoming drift compatible and you're like all right yes it's not as funny and it's a little janky but i'm in it like i want to see what happens yeah I thought, uh, you know, for as much as for as many issues as I had with the editing, again, it's still worth a watch because there is so much good in it. And I like seeing an ambitious filmmaker go balls to the wall. Just insane. It's like, what's the final battle? It's between the earth and heaven and these swords that cannot touch, but they have to be united because in this, this, this unity is between two men who have to emotionally and mentally become synchronized with each other in order to save the planet. It's like, holy shit. Like, what the... What's what's that going to look like? like? Well, we'll figure it out. I like that. Yeah, yeah. At, at least they tried, you know? And I, I, maybe that's why he went back and did... Or did the director, um, Sui Hark. Like, maybe that's why he went back so he could tell... The rest of the story with modern special effects but i don't know i didn't really like the five minutes i saw it it did it wasn't as goofy i don't know but that's there's a lot of uh a lot of movies like that now but i don't know if there's very many like zoo warriors no this movie uh this movie's very unique right I, or i can't i can't even really say that in terms of hong kong new wave cinema but it's unique to me i can't think of another movie that i've seen recently that blends goofy and epic fantasy end of the world kind of scenarios where you have a character fighting with a long beard and you have a female sub zero uh and you've got a guy attached to a boulder throwing chains and rocks like that's just so there's such a out there concept and you don't see yeah. it executed at all. So I'm like, well, shit, this is this is unique to me. You can tell the influence this this movie or these stories had in in today's today's media. Absolutely. There's so much research that I did for this movie. Like we we have been trying to record this episode for a while and it just gave me more time to do more research, more research. I probably looked up more about this movie than anything else since like Star Wars. I was going to say, I was going to say, well, uh, how much research did you do for Star Wars? Because it's Star Wars. So we had to do a whole other episode for the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, that but... was a that was a long one. Yeah, it was it was fun though. Like if if anybody knows anything about Wuxia, cuz we're about I'm about to like present some things that I found. If anyone knows something that might help us understand it more because we're coming at this from an outside perspective right so if you want to let us know about something that we might have missed you can do so okay so like george i did feel like i was missing some context for the movie and i was like okay what what is it that i'm missing is it 
something to do with the wuxia genre because I had a hard time defining it in the beginning of the episode. Maybe it's something about the political climate of China at the time. Maybe it's something about the director. Maybe it's something from the original novel. So there's a lot of stuff that I looked up and some of it didn't end up leading anywhere. <laughs> but some of it did. So there is a... The politics of, of China, or maybe Hong Kong, might be a little bit relevant to audiences of 1983. Um, there's that whole thing of the, the two swords needing to be united with synchronized minds. Otherwise, both the swords and the sword users will be destroyed. They say this a bunch of times, so I'm like, okay, maybe that's something. Maybe they're trying to say something there. There's the fact that there's an, a lot of these like authority figures like the the monk, the the monk teacher, he's I feel like the film kind of makes fun of him a little bit. It does, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's and it that whole... it calls it actually calls out all the, the, the authority figures, all the masters. Yeah, because they're like they refuse the monk and the swordsman kind of refuse to collaborate and that kind of makes things worse. And they they have all this power, but they don't help the people that are like fighting and dying in these wars the soldier boy says that explicitly in the film mm -hmm. and it's only when like the three youth youths agree to like work together is when they like actually go get the swords and save the world because before before that before the teachers were were like killed essentially killed off they don't even go for the swords right mm -hmm. so i'm like okay maybe they're trying to say something about the the synchronization of minds or whatever. Something about unification. Um, so I did a little bit of research on Chinese history and found a few interesting things. After the death of Chairman Mao, you know, the leader of the cultural, what do they call it, the cultural revolution in China, there was a shakeup of the Chinese government leadership. There is back and forth about what kind of socialism they wanted. Relations with the Soviets deteriorated. Relations with the West were kind of improving. There was an invasion of Vietnam. Did you know that China invaded Vietnam? What? Wait, pre-Vietnam War? Or post? Uh, this is after. Okay, okay. Oh, shit. Yeah. Whoa. I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't know that. Like late, late 70s. Um, and of course, maybe the most relevant thing, not sure, was the status of Hong Kong in relation to mainland China. Right. So I don't know if you know about Hong Kong history, maybe a little bit, but it used to be a British colony. So mm. if you were born in Hong Kong, you were, a, I think maybe you had UK citizenship. If you, any listeners want to fact check me about that, feel free to do so. Yeah. Uh, so it says right here in the Wikipedia, British Hong Kong was occupied by Imperial Japan from 1941 to 1945 during World War II. The British administration resumed command after the surrender of Japan. The whole territory was transferred to China in 1997. Okay, so, but this was in, like, the late 70s, early early 80s. There's a policy, was a policy of one country, two systems, which originally was going to be about the PRC, the People's Republic of China, and their relationship with Taiwan. China would allow Taiwan to keep their own economic system and government in exchange for acknowledging it was part of China in 1979. However, Taiwan did not accept. Later on, the whole concept of one country, two systems 
was applied to their relationship with Hong Kong, negotiations with the British in the 80s. Now, the film was released in 1983, right? And their whole, that whole like treaty negotiations between Margaret Thatcher and the Chinese representative, that happened in like 83 or 84. So it wasn't like maybe specifically about that, but maybe this was something that was living in the minds of people in Hong Kong because they knew, you know, what's going to happen with China, right? I don't know. But maybe, maybe the synchronized minds was an allegory for unification. But maybe this, the warriors, you know, they, they retained their own independent souls. They're not the same as each other. They're still their own people. But they have a unified mind, a synchronized mind. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it, was, it was something to do with that. Or maybe it was more of a general message for people to see the power of coming together for one good cause. Well, so I found an article uh, from the Film film Lifestyle uh, website called What is Hong Kong New Wave Cinema? Now, something that we have to mention is that Zoo Warriors of the Magic Mountain is considered part of the Hong Kong New Wave Cinema, which started from 1979 to 1995, right? And there are two waves. Zoo Warriors lands on the first wave, right? And... Hong Kong New Wave Cinema is essentially a term is uh, this is how it's defined. The term Hong Kong New Wave Cinema or Hong Kong New Wave refers to a period of films made in the late 1970s onwards in which filmmakers pushed against mainstream commercial cinema. Many of these films were independently produced and funded by private sources out of reach from the state owned film studios. Films of this period are noted for their critical social commentary and political co political content as well as their focus on character development and complex narratives and it seemed like there was a push to make movies more uh socially relevant right more contemporary so here's a little bit of the history in the 1980s a new wave of hong kong artists and filmmakers took aim at hong kong's greatest asset its deep well of cinematic talent it was the early 1980s and hong kong was about to become an independent nation but not without some major political tension. In 1997, the British Crown Colony would be land handed over to China, but for more than a decade prior to this, Chinese citizens had been flooding over the border into Hong Kong in hopes of starting a new life there. That influx caused an explosion in Hong Kong's film industry. The first wave of Hong Kong cinema was in the 1960s when filmgoers became enamored with the martial arts genre. Actors like Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan became international superstars and their movies dominated box office. But by the 1980s, tastes were changing. Audiences wanted something different, something bolder and more artistic. And hearing that, it, I, all I could hear, all I could think about was the independent scenes from Hollywood in the 90s. Right. Where we had we had like the these uh, slasher films from the 80s. We had these banging. We, had, we, we were coming out of the Hollywood blockbuster era. We're still in it, but there was like a shift for some more independent films outside of the main studio system, right? This was where Miramax was hugely successful, run by, uh, what's his name? Uh, Harvey Weinstein, the Weinstein brothers. Mm -hmm. This The same thing was kind of happening in Hong Kong, where you had these new up-and-coming artists wanting to expand the audience's con concept of what could be seen and presented in movies, right? Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with like the political t 
tension at the time with immigration, with the shifting of of power, with the British with the British Empire kind of looming over Hong Kong and then being given back to being handed over to China. A hundred percent. That definitely had an aspect of it. Yeah, and I do I think that like it's not necessarily a unification is good thing, but maybe a mutual understanding of who each other who who we are to each other but it's not like a dominance thing right like this the sword the the soldier boy doesn't command little monk to do to do something they work together to defeat the evil right and they they continue being their own person afterwards no no i i think you're a hundred percent correct because i mean you you have hong kong that is moving between different uh different sovereign states it's uh or different allegiances or whatever ownership I'm, I'm not sure what the right word is but it seems like there's like a sense of one one nation dominating hong kong for example now again i don't i don't know if this is right you can very much well well actually actually on this but this is just <laughs> like my interpretation of it i mean you have these you have these soldiers that are fighting in the very beginning and it's a very vague war what are they fighting for is it for territory? Is it for politics? Is it for religion? You have no idea. Even the two soul, even the two generals in the same fucking army cannot agree on what to do. And instead of of them coming together and coming to terms, coming to the same decision, they killed. They want to kill the soldier boy, right? And at every chance that that the movie gets, it always dismisses these elders, these masters. You know, even the swordsman, which isn't a bad character. Even they're like, look. There's a part of him that was apathetic towards what was happening. He could have done something about the wars, but he did it. Do you know who steps up and tries to 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 create a, a, some peace in the battlefield? The 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 Ziwu so what's her name? The the actress, the mistress's guard. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Moon Lee. Moon Lee. At the at the very end of the film, you see you see the soldiers coming into coming into battle and she's the one st- They've been fighting the whole time and there's like like hell on earth is about to be released. They had 49 <laughs> days to prevent the blood devil from coming and destroying the the world and these soldiers are still fighting and neither the swordsmen, <laughs> no any any other people, none of the generals, none of them stop to to address the blood devil, none of them intervene. It's Moon Lee at the end who has to intervene and tries to help people while this world-ending conflict is happening in the sky <laughs> i like how she like she flies down and grabs the the generals like there's three of them so she grabs two in one hand and then the last guy she grabbed with her feet and she just flies away <laughs> absolutely and there's definitely that sense of contempt for leader for incompetent leadership for people that are powerful but choose not to do anything and 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 the and the the ridiculousness of war it's like what are they even fighting about we don't, it's never said. We have no idea. We don't know if one side offended another. It's just, well, we're fighting. Hell, the red soldier and soldier boy. It's like, oh, I I wrote it down. Soldier boy is like uh, the scouts. He's like, oh, from I'm, I'm west of zoo. You know, it's like, where are you from? I'm east zoo, east zoo. He's <laughs> like, oh, we're neighbors. We're basically neighboring uh, villages. And then they become friends. You know, so, I mean, I, again, I'm not too familiar with the history of Hong Kong and, you know, I'm not too familiar. But I definitely think that there is an aspect of these new up-and-coming Hong Kong filmmakers saying, 
look, we're sick and tired of whatever the fuck is happening politically, right? People are fleeing China. They're immigrating here for a new life. We're under control from the British government. We, we, we don't know what's happening. You know, we just want competent leadership. And, and here's the thing. I know in some way, shape or form, the film is related to this because even the, even the kids say the old ones, our masters could not solve these problems. They couldn't be bothered to, to fix this. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? After they mm-hmm. escape the fortress that's like frozen over. Yeah. And the three of them are in the mountain and they're like at their low point. And Soldier Boy's like, it's their fault. They, they could have helped us. They could have solved this a long time ago, but they didn't. They chose not to. And this well, they, well, they're they're part of these like different groups, and these different groups have different rules, and they don't work together. Yeah, they and refuse to if, work e- with each other. The the swordsman and the monk don't don't work with each other. The fortress is sealed off in its own little area. It's there there, and you have to understand that the director. How do you pronounce his name? Uh, yeah, Sue Hark. Sue Hark. He's a young guy. You know, that's that's the thing about like Hong Kong new wave cinema, in in which filmmakers pushed again main against mainstream commercial cinema, and these filmmakers. Hong Kong new wave refers to a group of films produced in Hong Kong. The films are noted for their critical social commentary and political content, as well as their focus on character development and complex narratives. The movement was fueled by a group of young filmmakers, including Zhang Wu, Su Hark, the director of this movie, Ring On Lam, and Wong Kar Wai. Right? So you had a lot of new... You you had a group of young filmmakers wanting to come and make some social commentary and some political content who are motivated by Hollywood's new era of VFX, Hollywood blockbuster filmmaking, and they're like, we can make some really cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff, indeed. The The innovation and, like, the dedication that they they went through to make this movie is, like, like one of the, the actor who plays Little Monk, he said that this movie took, like, a year to make. The, I think the director said it was, like, six months of shooting. So, I don't know, between six months and a year to make one movie. Oof. And the, the actress, Moon Lee... She she said that some of the wire stuff was like really really complicated and that it would sometimes it would take a whole day to just to get one shot and she'd be in a harness the entire day. I don't doubt it, man. It's that, and again, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort to do this, and so that's why some studio heads are like, "Why don't you just use green screen?" Now, you know, sometimes a lot of times practical is better, but we forget that practical is complicated. It needs to look good on camera but it also has to be safe you can't have an actor mm-hmm. getting choked out by some cable that's going in the wrong direction decapitating them or something like that like yeah it, you have to be careful and it has to look good too like you you kind of forget at how much how much effort it takes to use this wire stuff and one thing that i learned while doing a little bit of research on the genre is that this was one of the movies that really really um, took advantage of wire work oh. and um, movies after this would use more wire work after it oh dude i there, the article i was mentioning has an entire section on it um let me read it out sue hark's zoo warriors from the magic mountain 1983 is widely credited with inspiring the movement its innovative action sequences featured sophisticated wire work which impressed younger directors and spurred them to try something new the film's success was also due to its lavish budget, 
which was unheard of at the time. With its success, many inspiring filmmakers tried to imitate imitate Hark's style. These directors were called Zhu Zhu Hua Pai, the Zhu faction. <laughs> they named they named themselves they named themselves because they felt that they were destined to make films and that they were talented enough to do so. The trend soon became evident as many young filmmakers emerged making unique genre movies. So like this movie was a big deal and look, maybe it took a day to get some one shot, but it clearly paid off and it, it inspired a whole group of a whole generation to like get up and start making movies. Oh yeah, like I think most mostly the wire work looks really really good like it you do have to kind of just like accept that they're on wires they're floating around it's you know like we we accept that freaking john wick can like survive all those falls like we should be able to accept that no, these no. guys can fly around i love that you made that connection because i think there is some suspension of disbelief that's required with wire work now look if you can watch wire work and not buy into it you're like well that's clearly a wire it's like well that's the point. Like, if you can't get into it, maybe you just can't get into the, the genre of filmmaking. But if that's the case, we can also have we also have to point out the fact that John Wick can stop bullets with his three piece suit. So you know, yeah, and this, like there's all kinds of like weird stuff that happens in action movies in Western action movies that we just accept. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like we should we should be able to accept the wire work in. A Hong Kong cinema. I think the wire work is, is incredible. And again, I think if you're especially a young, impressionable little kid and you see this movie, you're able to see like these monks and swordsmen flying and retrieving swords. Look, man, I'm a grown ass man. I'm about to enter my 30s. But whenever the swordsman threw his sword and retrieved it, I really wanted to do that. Just yell, retrieve. It, it, yeah. It, oh, it's so cool. it, it, it brought out like the Captain America, like shield thing back where I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could do that. But <laughs> um. yeah, there's there's like three things that I want to bring up uh, the source material, a definition of what Wuxia is and the alternate opening. OK, so we, we use the word a lot. We didn't really know how to define it. So I'm going to try to define Wuxia. Uh, there's a website called Wuxia Wanderings, and they they translated the source material that this book was based on that the movie was based off of at least the first seven chapters. And then they, I guess they just stopped and were like, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this, but I wasn't going to read through them all. I was just kind of like looking for, for stuff. Uh, so what is Wuxia? This person translated a Wuxia novelist, like kind of definition of what makes a Wuxia novel. Um, they, the translation has seven rules, seven must-haves, but like it's it's kind of like a loose set of rules because sometimes wuxias don't have this thing. Number one, the time period is hundreds of years in the past, mostly during the Yuan, Yuan, Ming, or Qing dynasty. Number two, the setting is mainland China and its frontier regions, occasionally venturing into foreign lands. Number three, the characters are divided into orthodox good and orthodox bad factions. And in the end, the good triumphs over evil number four the male lead possesses both intellectual and martial arts prowess and is distinguished kind-hearted and magnanimous the female lead is beautiful and affectionate but her martial arts is just as outstanding or even more so number five swords and sabers and the like are used not guns number six 
Particular emphasis is placed on martial arts, physical prowess, miracle drugs, or secret manuals. Number seven, features roaming the Chuan Chuangu boldly requiting favors or seeking vengeance. I think that the Chuangu is like the hero. I think features roaming the heroes boldly requiting favors, seeking vengeance, respect for one's teachers or masters and their teachings. Retirement from the Chang'u and going to live in seclusion in the mountain forest. Wow, Zoo Warriors kind of has all of those. Somewhat, right? Like, there's not a lot of respect for the teachers. Uh, well, I mean, but there's still, like, an admiration for them at certain points, right? Like, at a certain hey, point, can, yeah. Can I, but... can I be your protege? I mean, and that's at the beginning of the mm -hmm. movie. Like, can I be your protege when Chang with Longbeard... Um, tells like a uh, soldier boy what to do. He's like, throw that rock as hard as you can. When I say so, like, there's clearly like a uh, like these are the professors, these are the masters, um, and, and and even the little monk like you know wants to live up to being a monk. He wants to be chief. He takes the beads. So so there's still clearly like that respect. It's not until end of the film where it's like you know the, our masters is not doing enough to protect this world. Right, right. So I did a little bit more research into what wuxia is. It's like origin before it was even wuxia uh, because the, the wuxia is made up of two words. The wu, which is means martial as in like military and sha is like hero, chivalrous, or vigilante. And the, the origins of the sha go back to the Warring States period before the unification in 2020 BCE. Before the Wu, these stories were called the Jiayi and were often about these heroes that followed their own moral code of ethics, not necessarily to any lord or law, right? One of the first Jiayi stories was called Yan Danzi, and it was about a prince who ordered this assassin, Jin Kei, to assassinate the first emperor of China. Does this sound familiar? Mm, kind of, but I don't want to say. Jet Li's hero. Okay, okay, no, I was definitely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like that, that movie was based off, it's like a kind of an adaptation of this Wush, or I guess Jiayi story, the Yan Danzi. The... Like the, the most important thing about these stories was that there was a hero who followed their own code of ethics and their own moral code, and they did what they thought was right, even if the law was different, right? Because killing the emperor is illegal, right? But, you know, if they believe that was the emperor is evil, he's a tyrant, he must be killed. That's Luke Skywalker. Well, I was going to say, you know? <laughs> I was going to say, Darth Vader was pretty good to some people. <laughs> You know, or uh, the emperor. I'm sure the emperor was good to some people. So but, yeah, but that dude had to go. <laughs> I love how we yeah. just thought of Star Wars. And stuff. <laughs> that's our Wusha, that, you know, that's, dude. Ooh, man, that is a good take. That is the, our Wusha. The the Ja the Ja in in these stories were normal people, right? And back in the old days, like when they, they were just like these historical people, because Jin Kei did exist, right? The first emperor of China did exist, right? There was an assassination attempt. Oh, there was? Um, yes. Ooh. Uh, but so they were like historical stories. They were normal people. And not all of these Jiayi characters were uh, expert fighters, 
Some of them were doctors. Some of them were teachers. They were just these people who were heroic, who had their own code of ethics that they stayed true to. There were even like these anti-hero bandit Ja characters, which sounds nuts. Like there is some of it sounds like, yo, that guy sounds like a villain. <laughs> he he killed the family of the guy that killed his family. Like freaking uh, Benicio del Toro in, in Sicario. Sicario. Yeah. Well, I was like, okay, well, that's not too crazy. I mean, it's wild, but you shouldn't have done that to me. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So it wasn't until this this novel, the spring and autumn annals of the Wu and Yue, did these heroes have fantastical powers gained through internal alchemy, which is like channeling their chi or like training, uh, and then there's also external alchemy which is like you took something and it turned you into a superhero. It's like ancient super soldier serum, basically. <laughs> and these these like supernatural beliefs, they kind of come from Taoist, Taoism, uh, where like if you study enough, if you're dedicated enough, you can gain like superhuman abilities. Um, as time goes on, we see more tropes emerge. And there's also some some kind of like ideological war not like actual killing but like there's buddhists and there's taoists and they much rather prefer their school of thought their religion over the other's religion so there are some of these jai stories where like there'd be a taoist who would come in contact with a buddhist and be like actually buddhism is better so they would convert to buddhism because the author was a buddhist <laughs> so you'd, you'd have stuff like that happening which is interesting be because i kind of feel like maybe buddhism is made fun of in this movie a little bit cut through the monks so I, yeah i wonder i wonder if there's if that's what that was about like that has you know a historical origin um but anyway as the time goes on these heroes they start getting powers and some of the powers like come back like the, the heroes gain these, these immortality. They have key blasts. They can fly. They can uh, sh throw swords and control the swords, which we see all. We see almost all of that in this movie, uh, and the fighting that they would take part in. It was like described blow by blow. And then the Cultural Revolution happens, and part of that movement was like getting rid of like Confucianism. Right, like there'd be statues torn down, and as these wuxia stories would be continue to be written, they'd be they would turn to film, and you'd see wuxia in film, and then some of these films were lost because it was Confucianism, and we're done with that, get rid of it. Um, so then I think that's why so many of these wuxia filmmakers or wuxia writers they went to taiwan or to hong kong and continued doing stuff there but there's different censors in hong kong different censors in taiwan like i think in taiwan the history is set in like a fantastical world so it's not to any specific chinese king or, or country or warring state or whatever it's just kind of in this made up like it's kind of like this but it's not really and that brings me to the story in this movie was based off of The Legend of the Swordsman of the Mountain's Shoe by Huan Su Lo Su. 
which was published between 1932 and 1948. I don't know why there's such a big gap between when this thing was published. Maybe it's because it was released episodically. I don't really know. But the first seven chapters are up on this website, Wandering Wusha Wanderings. And I, I tried to like look for stuff, look for characters that were the same in this movie. The only thing that I found through control find was a girl whose name was Lee. Li. Lee Ying Chuang? Lee, right? And I was like, okay, maybe that's the same Lee that uh, is at the end who holds the two swords, right? So I Googled her name and I came across a completely different character who has a story about killing a giant serpent. And the, the, the giant serpent eats virgins. And she, she goes in into this cave and she kills the serpent and she sees all the bones of the virgins. And she's like, damn, this evil was really evil. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, the virgin skeletons, that kind of reminds me of a little bit of Zoo Warriors. And there's even a chapter in this, in the original novel that had something to do with a giant serpent. But it wasn't Lady Lee who kills the serpent in this one. It's like these other warriors. It's, it's weird. It's like, it's almost like this movie is kind of like a mix of these old stories. And these old stories have different versions. Like the lady who, Lee, who kills the serpent, there's different versions of that story. You know, kind of like how we have different versions of King Arthur, different versions of Spider-Man, you know, mm -hmm. different versions of Batman. You have different versions of this story. So I'm like, okay, maybe... Maybe the the white eyebrows guy, he exists somewhere before. And I couldn't find a guy who could control his eyebrows like uh, the guy does in this movie. But I did find this character who was known for having these long white eyebrows, who was a very skilled martial artist. His name was Bach May. And he was a monk that may or may not, depending on who's telling the story, had betrayed the Shaolin monks to the Qing dynasty. So I'm like, there's these these characters and their powers and everything. Maybe it has like a richer historical or cultural context that we just don't know because we're watching this movie from the outside perspective. Mm -hmm. and I think that you can kind of get a sense of that if you're like someone who's watching that and not really into the in, in the culture because there's just some things that go over your head. You know, like for example... Um, like Longbeard, like there might be references to other historical figures or other like cultural uh, characters and stuff, but I just have no reference. I have no idea. And the whole movie could be like that, you know, like the blood devil, the swordsman. I mean, he might just be generic swordsman, but I don't, I don't know that. And like that kind of, I, I like that what you said, it's like that reinterpretation of like source uh, of a source material. It's like, oh yeah, that's what we do with Spider-Man all the time. You know, we've got Andrew, Toby, Tom, we've got Miles, you know, we've got the animated ones, we've got the video games. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, and one of one of these uh, um, YouTube videos that I saw on Wuxia kind of describes how, you know, John Wick is a different kind of Wuxia. He is like this different, like, he has his own moral code that is in defiance of, like, authority, and he has, like, these fantastical powers that he has because of how disciplined and trained he is mm -hmm. right and they also there's another one that was like yeah actually superheroes are kind of like wuxia too because they have the these own powers and they don't they have their own code of ethics and they fight against evil 
and the fight is ongoing. And it's like, all right, all right, hmm. I see. Oh, I like I that. See what, I see what you're saying. But the the history of Wuxia is like very interesting, and <laughs> it is it is ongoing. Like they they keep remaking these Wuxia stories in um, like television and movies to this day. The I'm have you heard of like the Journey to the West and the Monkey King? No. You never heard of the Monkey King? No. Oh well, have you heard of Goku? Oh yeah. Well, Goku's kind of like the monkey. Oh, because he he doesn't he transform into mo- a monkey at one point. Yeah, J- Japan took parts of the legend of the Monkey King and turned it into Goku. Mm. And I think there's like these modern Wuxia, like super special effects heavy tellings of the Monkey King, and some of those special effects look pretty incredible. Like he's just he's just flying around with his pole and he's like smashing rocks into two. It's, it looks nuts interesting stuff man you you went in deep into the to the i went in deep i went in deep and half the stuff that i found i don't even know how to talk about but (laughs) there is one other thing that i found really really interesting which kind of ties in with the whole actually all of this stuff in the movie is based on history either historical stories like actual history or like historical fiction because in the intended cut of this movie was not going to start in this ancient China. It was going to start in present day Canada because our hero, Soldier Boy, was a student <laughs> who. <laughs> I read this and so it, was starts, so, it was so ridiculous. It's nuts. Like, there's parts of it where it's like, actually, I like that better, but there's other parts of it where it's like, well, what am I supposed to make of that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So basically, when this movie was being filmed it was taking quite a long time like golden harvest which is like the the production company that is responsible or that kind of funded this movie and also funded a lot of like the what many consider to be like the great hong kong classics this movie was taking a long time so they ended up editing a version that they were happy with and they released that version and that's the version that we saw that's the version that we talked about there was a yeah, there was another cut of the movie that was meant to be like an international cut. And that cut was called Zoo Time Warriors. What? Because the idea is our heroes in present day and he falls into a coma and then the events of the movie happen. And at the end of the movie, he comes out of the coma oh, that, and okay, he's that, back in present day. That's yeah, that's the one that I read. That sounds insane. Yeah. But a lot of there's I think in the. It's hard to say what the final product would be because the international cut cut away a lot of stuff that I liked. Like a lot of the comedy, a lot of the silly stuff is gone. It's right? still like silly. The, they took out si- other sillier stuff? Yeah, they, they took the international cut. It's not the cut that we saw. Mm. The international cut is the version that has the intended opening and the intended ending. But there's stuff in the middle that is, is removed. Okay. So it's it's not really the director's cut. None of them are the director's cut. And then, in fact, I think director's cut is kind of a misleading thing because you think, oh, this is the version that the director wanted. Sometimes it's not even it. It's just it sounds better to sell the DVD if you say director's cut. In this version, uh, Soldier Boy is a student. He's like fencing. He's like fencing some some 
uh, white dudes in Canada, and he's really good. And the teacher's like, hey, do you want to join the team? And he's like, yeah. And then his friend is like, hey, my aunt's a medium. And he's like, oh, that's cool. I want to get a reading with her. The white dudes are harassing this uh, female student who is played by Moon Lee. And Soldier Boy, who's, I guess he's College Boy now. <laughs> college Boy sees Moon Lee and, sh- and he's like, I think I know her. And he goes into this museum and in the museum, there's he's looking at all this stuff and he sees her in one of the paintings. And he's like, huh, that's weird. She she looks like the, the girl that was being harassed by those white dudes. Uh, he ends up meeting her again. And then the white dudes, who was also the guy, one of them was the guy he kicked his ass in fencing. And he got offered a spot on the team. Uh, he fights them. But he's like our hero. So he kicks all their asses. And then he goes home with the, the girl. And they spend the night together. She sees that he has like this cool sword on his wall. Uh, and then she leaves him a note in the morning saying, hey, if fate decides we're to be together, we'll be together. And she leaves him. And he's like, damn, where'd you go? He goes to the medium and the medium tells him that he's he's lived like a rich life in the past and that he you cannot escape your past. It's really like ominous. And then he's like driving home and then he thinks he sees Moon Lee. And he's like, oh, shit. He drives off off the road, crashes. Then he wakes up in the past. And then as the movie goes on, he assumes the role of the soldier boy. And then the rest of the movie happens. And then there's like a bonus scene with with him and Moon Lee specifically that, that kind of like hints that, oh, she's the same. Like they were destined to be together. And then at the very end of the movie, he wakes up from the coma and... He doesn't even have any injuries on him from the car accident. And then Moon Lee is there. And then they like they hug. And it's like, all right, I, I guess fate decided we're going to be together. And that's the actual end of the movie. What? Okay. That's odd. It is weird. I don't. It feels like a different movie. Yeah. It doesn't even sound at all related to the movie we just watched. Why? Why keep that in? Or why even include that? Well, I do. What One thing I do like about the frame story is that it um as as a contemporary audience like you're used to seeing a contemporary world you know a modern world and you're going back to the past with this character i guess right so and there's this whole thing about the the history that's kind of like lost right because some history was lost Right, with the revolution and and everything and the taking down of the Confucian stuff. Like I feel like there's a little bit of history that is that is lost there. Maybe there's a little bit of cultural disconnect. I don't know. But I think that adds something to it. The the love story thing is not something that I don't know how much that actually adds to the movie. Because yeah. the movie's not about him being with Moon Lee's character, right? It's about him you know becoming a hero and saving the world by working together with somebody else mm-hmm. i don't know it, it, you know what i'll say this i'm happy with the cut we saw yeah i think if i was to choose between the two i think i would rather prefer this one yes because this is a straightforward it is a historical epic fantasy wuxia film like that's what it is and i'm like I am cool with watching that. Like, I don't, I don't need to be transported along with 
another main character that's in the present. I don't I don't give a shit. I don't need that personally. And I think audiences are willing to accept it. Um because yeah, it, it's I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just that kind of frustrates me because it's just like, well, we need to do what people will like and not to get them confused. It's like you won't get them confused. You just say that this isn't a historical wuxia epic drama or epic action film. And they'll just if that's what they want to watch, they'll go watch that. And you know what I mean? Like not every yeah. movie set in the past needs a modern day twist to it where it's like, oh, man. Um, you know, like, I don't, I don't know, like in Ben-Hur, going back to Ben-Hur, the Ten Commandments, like, oh, it's this kid reading the story of Ben-Hur. I don't know. Some, some... But like, I think sometimes the frame story does add something. No, no, no. It, right. It, like it does. It can. Princess Bride. Princess Bride. I was thinking Saving Private Ryan. Or uh, Forrest Gump. Ooh. Yeah. See, the, the, those, those are some good ones. So, but yeah, no, I, but I don't know how much it adds to it, especially since if you watch that version, it cuts out a lot of stuff that I like, right? Like it, it cuts out the funny stuff with the red soldier, mm-hmm. you know, it, like imagine the movie without him. Yeah, no. And he's probably he's one of my favorite parts of the movie. The actor. Yeah. So it's like there's this trend in, in Hong Kong cinema to like, oh, he did this move and we're going to kind of uh, ex- it emphasized how impressive this move was by showing it again from a different angle. You know what I'm talking about? No. Would they like repeat a, a move? Like if you got kicked in the oh, head. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jackie Chan did that all the time. Yeah. So it, I think there's less of that in the international cut. Mm, where you'll see and the they, same impact from different angles as a way to like right. emphasize the hit was powerful or something. Right. Right. And they they took that away from it, mm. and they simplified a lot of the the mysticism and stuff which i guess would make it easier to watch for western audiences yeah i, I mean i get I mean, but but even then that wasn't the mysticism wasn't the problem that i had with it the problem i had with it was just the relentless editing and cutting you know and that's and that's on the filmmaking technique mm-hmm. that's, that's on the cinematography and the editing that's not it's not the, the mysticism i could buy mysticism shit we we talked about harry potter that's that's <laughs> that's mysticism enough you know lord of the rings star wars <laughs> like it's all the same yeah exactly you know so it, marvel marvel's kind of mysticism yeah i guess kind of it's dirt- fan fantastic fantasy fantasy like this this a radioactive spider bit this dude now he can shoot webs out of his hand and yeah. crawl on walls so All right. It's supernatural <laughs> to some degree, Sarah. So I, yeah, but yes, it's different words, but all the same kind of the the same. Like it's all magic. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm here for it. I'm here for the story you can tell when the dudes can fly around. Yeah, 100 percent. Use powers and stuff. Yeah, that doesn't bug me. That that doesn't deteriorate my. Unless you're just not into that. You like just straight up. I don't like movies where people fly and jump and kick each other. It's like okay, that's that's just your personal taste. But um. But yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Man, that's... it's very interesting. I wonder, like, if the director actually got his final cut, what would the movie look like? Maybe Golden Harvest did us a solid by saying, "Actually, your frame story, we don't like it. We're gonna, we're gonna make the edit the movie without you." Yeah. That's a good point. I, I would like to see what his, uh, what his take, what his definitive take would be, like his final cut. I think he's a little frustrated that they did this, but I. Th- I, I don't know. Shit, I would be He's, too. He will he will still talk about this movie. Like he there was like a screening I think in 2020, something recent. And he was just talking about it 
and how much of a struggle it was to make this movie but he doesn't come off as like golden harvest screwed me by you know editing my movie without me but he ended up working with them again you know for uh once upon a time in in china with the jet was a jet lee movie mm. a trilogy actually oh and he did all three yeah he did all three okay. i might have I... been his most like commercially successful movies I mean, I'm sure he was frustrated, but in the end of the day, he's still he's still a director. He's he's still got bills to pay, and he still wants to direct. So I'm sure that it's like, well, I'll go back to you. Oh, he did. There's five of these Once Upon a Time in China movies. Oh wait, I I remember that. Those are the, in the Criterion collection. Yeah, they're in the Criterion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they were on sale a while ago. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like ancient Japan, ancient uh, ancient China. Yeah. Okay, I remember that. Yeah, because I remember it's like, oh, that's five movies. Okay. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the movie? Um, no, that's all I. That's all I had to say about this movie. I thought it was really interesting and definitely made me more interested in Wuxia films. There's one film that I want to do for Modern Grade that is something that kind of like awakened the the need for me to see these movies. Whoa. What was it? It's called Shadow. I've never it's heard. It's by Yeah, it's there's the he- hero that I mentioned earlier it's from the same director. Mm, okay. Oh. I think modern modern wuxia is like stuff like Hero, Crouching Tiger and Shadow, I think is a lot easier for me maybe contemporary audiences to watch. Like there's a reason why Crouching Tiger was so successful. Oh in the yeah. West, yeah. Right. I like movies like that. Ones that are fantastical. They're flying around. But when it gets like heavy into the CG, then it part of me is a little bit lost in it. But that's just because I don't know. I think CG can be good. It's just some of it is like too much of it know. in excess can be damaging. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. You want to move on to quotes? Let's move on to quotes. All right. This is the part of the episode where we describe how we feel about a movie without giving in arbitrary five-star rating. Like five-star ratings have their place, but on Retrograde Podcast, we talk about more than just whether or not the movie's good or bad. So we summarize how we feel about the movie with a quote from the movie. It can be our favorite quote. It can be a quote that made us laugh, or it can be a quote about the conversation we just had. George usually goes first, and George usually breaks the rules. I actually did not break the rule. I actually kept it to one. Nice. There was one, there was one interaction that I loved so much, and it was early on in the movie. And I was like, this kind of highlights why I like the movie. Like, this highlights the aspect of the movie I like best, which is the comedy. I like the interaction. I like how it's presented, how it's, like, performed. It was great all around, and I I just love this. It's it's not even a quote. Well, I kind of did break the rules because it's not like one specific quote. It's like a little conversation between two characters. So uh, it's uh, it's Soldier Boy and the Swordsman, uh, and they're like uh, they're in the mountains, and there's a bunch of skulls. They're surrounded by a bunch of skulls, and the Swordsman's like these skulls bear the sign of the devil to practice their sorcery. They sacrifice these children. Because they need virgins. The soldier boy's like, virgins? And he looks concerned. And then the, sol- the swordsman's like, so now you know why I asked you to leave. Soldier boy's like, you want me to leave because I'm a virgin? Thank God. And the swordsman's like, whether or not you're a virgin 
they will still kill you. Besides, no one would believe you. And I, I just love that joke, like how they're, how you know, because virgins is just a, I don't know why. There's some, you know, like some, oh, we need virgin blood. They take, they take that and they just, they, they mock soldier boys so much with it. And I'm just like, yeah, no one would believe you either way. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, you didn't have to do them that bad, but it's funny. So that's my quote. Okay. Um, my quote is at the very end of the movie. Uh, when the soldier boy is kind of like has the mind sync with the red soldier at the end, telling him that like one day when all these wars are over, we'll reunite and I'll give you I'll give this back to you. And I, I love that because it's like kind of like the, you know, the, the anti-war like pro uh, let's get together and work to work together to, to solve this issue thing, like a very sentimental, wholesome like message. But the way he's saying it and the fact that he's like still sword locked with this guy he's trying to kill and the reaction of the guy like what what's happening right now? Are we not fighting? <laughs> it's really funny. And the fact that that's like the director of the movie and he like puts himself in the movie in that in that part specifically. That's great. I love that so much. And then he just flies away. Freeze frame credits. <laughs> I love that. The, the way that some of these movies end is like, oh my God. I, I have to send you the clip from Yes, Madam. Maybe we'll cover it on a future episode. The little monk is in there too. He's the guy that does the thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's it for our episode of Zoo Warriors. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, look, I, I know I said some damning things about the movie, critiquing it, but... These are just my thoughts. If you if you want to check it out, if we made you curious enough, go check it out. It's online for free, and go form your own opinion. And maybe maybe you'll get a you'll maybe you'll be closer to Austin's opinion, and you'll love it a lot more than I did. Uh, and I still think there is still a lot of fun to be had, especially with the comedy. So, I yeah, this is a, a rock solid recommendation. Go check it out. And if you're just not into wuxia filmmaking, then that's okay. We have a ton of episodes on other movies that you can watch. Yes. Absolutely. Um, next month we will be talking. Well, I guess the rest of this month, <laughs> uh, we will we will be talking about the original Street Fighter movie, the adaptation from the popular video game. Because I'm a huge fan of fighting games, and the new one just came out. Street Fighter Six just came out, and I'm just thinking about it all day. Um, Have you been playing so it? I play a little bit of it. By a little bit, I mean like six hours straight <laughs> but, I've, never, um, I've never seen street fighter so i'm very curious to see yes it is it is a terrible adaptation of the source material but it is a hilarious movie it is one of those like so bad it's good but like i, I feel like they had to know that they are making something really funny okay. so i don't even know if it's a so bad it's good kind of thing or if it's like just they meant they meant to make a comedy and they succeeded, <laughs> but but some of the we could, we'll get into it then because it's it's a really entertaining movie. At the end of the day, it was an entertaining movie. Okay. And as a Street Fighter fan, like maybe you're offended by the the changes they did to the characters, but also it's really funny. <laughs> okay. So I'll I'll say that. Um, but that's all we have for this episode. Uh, you can find us on social media at retrograde underscore pod. 
on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We have a YouTube channel, Retrograde Podcast, three words. We have a Discord, which we can talk about movies. If you want to get good at Street Fighter, come hit me up there. I am okay at Street Fighter, actually. I don't want to uh, mislead you. <laughs> but uh, uh, we can play Street Fighter there. We can talk about Zoo Warriors, all kinds of stuff. Uh, just hit us up so that we know you're not a bot infected by the blood devil. You're not an imposter trying to open the gates of hell to destroy the world. <laughs> you know, we got to verify that you're a human being on the side of righteousness. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all we have for today. We will see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.